Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the awesome, well funded Pacific Northwest Library to my sad, underfunded, and these days rather empty Texas one, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Mine's been pretty empty because of all the fires. They've had to keep everything closed for the last week. Apparently, the interior of the place smells smoky. They, they finally reopened it today, but it's been closed for over a week. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that, that used to happen in San Diego all the time when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Whenever the wildfires got bad. The other thing was when uh, the dust storms would roll in. That that was when it got really bad. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I just heard Optimus Prime say, and roll out when you said roll in with the dust storms. <laughs> the other thing that we had was um, there was always a, a musty smell in the library that I grew up in, but I grew up on a peninsula, um, so we were surrounded by water, and I think everything was just rotting. Yeah, that happens by the ocean. I noticed that. Like, if, if you don't repaint your house, like, every, I don't know, like, two or three years, it just gets, you know, crusty and gross pretty quick, surprisingly quick. Yeah, the, the other thing that it's hell on is cars. Like, if you don't keep up with your car in that kind of an environment, the uh, car's just going to get eaten away. Yeah, 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 the rust and the salt, yeah. Well, that's, that. We thankfully, we didn't have a salt issue down um well, okay, there's, there's two types of salt. There's salt in the air from the ocean, which, yes, highly corrosive to the paint and to the body of the car, but not nearly as badly as road salt, which all of our listeners in the north would know about. Uh, that basically just uh, is Pac-Man, and your car is the power pellets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Waka, 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 waka. But still, if you're not used to it in SoCal, because if you live remotely inland, you don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't take much, about 15 miles and you're good. Not even 15, like just Not even, one. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started with a big old thank you, as always, to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on. And what we'd like to hope is some good times in the face of some not so good times. And on that note, uh, Jonathan, happy National Coffee Day. Oh, I don't know what we do without it, frankly. I know. National Coffee Day, saving children's lives since 1703. I don't know what I would do in the morning if I didn't have a nice, hot cup of Greenlee coffee from Greenlee Roasters, roasted with care by our friend, Ray Greenlee. Ray, I would love to have another bag of Greenlee coffee. As would my family, if mm. we're throwing that out into the ether to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You're, you're picking up what I'm putting <laughs> down. Yep, yep, yep. Mm, I'd like to be cupping, uh, picking up a warm steaming cup of Greenlee coffee. Perfect for a winter's day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, coincidentally, is not this month. Not Texas's winter isn't scheduled till January. That's when our obligatory two weeks of jeans and uh, shoes is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I, I do. Do you want to hear something sad? So, last time we recorded, it was summer. <laughs> and now that we're recording, I went out yesterday and I questioned my decision to wear shorts. <laughs> that bad, huh? Yeah, yeah. 
It, it was kind of like that didn't I could take long at all. I could wear a long sleeve t-shirt and shorts or a short sleeve t-shirt and jeans, but I, I couldn't do shorts and a, a, a t-shirt. It, it was just a little too cool for that. We expended one of our really good weeks of weather here uh, last this last weekend. It was only in the 70s and 80s all weekend. Mm, that's just like summer out here. Yeah. 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 And actually, it's only 66 right now because we've got a, a storm rolling in the remains of a topical or the, the remains of a tropical depression. I think the, the high was 69 today, which wow. for this time of year is unheard of. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But don't you worry, we'll be right back up to 90 by Saturday. <laughs> Woo! Woo! All right. Let's all die a little. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready for the fall. I'm ready for cooler temperatures. And by that, I don't mean 90, because 90 is definitely cooler than the 100 plus that we get during the summer. But I was actually talking about, you know, like hoodie weather. Hoodie weather. <laughs> I wouldn't mind hoodie weather. Yeah, man, I I miss my summer already. It's it's sad. Just just looking at the weather report and it's just like it's going to be cloudy, maybe rainy and progressively getting cooler and cooler as the days wear on. It's sad. All right. Well, it is time for us to kick off our first segment of the show. That is, of course, our off the shelf segment. This is where, of course, we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, into our hearts, into our minds basically hoist a middle finger at the pandemic and say hey we're still having a good time wow jonathan There's <laughs> I'm this- a little i'm a little anti-covid this week not that i'm ever not anti-covid but i'm just like super anti-covid this week because uh, a friend of mine brought up san diego and then i started looking at uh, google streets and next thing i knew um i was really really homesick and i i missed my my yearly trick trip out there to Recharge my batteries, get all the food I like, visit my pop, in no particular order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just a little bummed out is all. I'm a little bummed out. Well, let's get to it. Um, I see some fun stuff on the list uh, for both of us. Uh, you've started a couple shows that I really, really want to. You got a chance to watch a movie that I really wanted to, because uh, it's been a couple years since I saw it. So let's go ahead and start with movies and TV. That's just where the eye went. Okay, okay. Who goes first? I always you go are, first. Buddy. You go first. You go all first. All right. All right. Uh, I start watching uh, Raised by Wolves. I've heard of the. Uh, yeah, I, I noticed you have the HBO Max uh, fired up again. No, no, not again. This is the first time I've had it. So oh. here's, here's the deal. Um, I called up my cell phone company and said, hey, fellas, why are you charging me $25 more than what you're advertising right now? And they said, oh, that's a really good point. Well, we'd like to keep you as a customer. How about we lower your rate? And I said, well, that's great, but I can get a rate somewhere else. What else you got? And so they gave me HBO Max. Slow nod. Slow nod. That's what I'm doing over here. So so now I got HBO Max for the next however long. I'm going to leave. You got to do me a solid. You got to start watching the Doom Patrol. I'm really curious about that show. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I really want to watch it too, but there's a lot of good stuff on HBO Max. Plus, I'm going to have to watch The Wire again because I love The Wire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I started with Raised by Wolves. Why? Because it is a Ridley Scott joint and I love me some Ridley Scott. And whoo, doggy, that show is messed up, man. That is a messed up show. That is a messed up show. And let me warn you, I'm warning everybody right now. Is it good? Absolutely. Should you watch it? Without a doubt. Should you watch it if you are offended by um, squishy people? No, you should stay away. Like, people are expendable in this show. Like, super expendable. 
mm. kibbles and bits and bits and bits in bits. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's like, what? I got to the end of the first episode and I took a deep breath and I was like, wow, okay. Whoa. All right. Well, it's, it's right. about like a, a future colony, right? That, uh, yeah. So basically there's a religious war on earth. I'm not giving anything away. They, they cover this in the trailer. There's a religious war on earth. There were two sides, the atheists and, um, these people that follow this, this very particular religion. For some reason, they dress like ancient Templars with like modern body armor that has a very heavy reminiscence to, um, you know, good old fashioned medieval armor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the two sides are at war. Uh, they basically destroy Earth between the two of them. And both of them come up with uh, kind of an arc project. So one arc project is done by the atheists. They pack a bunch of uh, embryos into a spaceship with two uh, androids. And they fire that sucker off um, through some kind of portal and they get to this planet and the androids start raising the children. The others are on the way, but they're not there yet because they take the long way because they've got a full ship full of uh, full of survivors. So, you know, dueling, uh, dueling kind of uh, um, approaches to religion and dueling colonies is how it all begins. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So that's that's kind of the setup. Yeah, you're going to get all that within the first 10 minutes. Uh, I'm not giving anything away there. But wow. I mean, like the show is fantastic. Make no mistake. This is really good TV with some very interesting choices and some very, very interesting uh, storylines. That said, wow, it's tough, man. Not only is it dark, but wow, people are really expendable in this world. (laughs) <laughs> we don't mean a thing um how about you what was the first thing you started watching well continuing on with lower decks show's great shows shows amazing just gonna say i, I want to know more about starbase 80 and i want to know more about division 14 if God, you haven't watched stop, the show stop don't, you don't know what i mean ruin it for me i'm gonna watch it soon okay okay it's on the list with with the next thing on your list because i haven't started watching that season yet either yeah yeah i've been continuing on with the boys uh Dude, don't 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 binge it. Don't wait. It's actually uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm getting reminded why I like episodic TV because binging it you you you're you're just consuming all of it at once and you don't have time oh, to like think no, about no. it. I won't be binging it because I'm watching two series right now and I'm intentionally taking my time between the episodes. Okay. Well, I know a lot of people are mad about the boys coming out weekly after the first three episodes, but I, I find especially with like hard shows, it's uh, it's better that way. I think it's better for the story. Well, and the boys is not an easy show to watch because it's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty freaking rough, man. Yeah. And I was thinking like, that's probably why I wore out of uh, penny dreadful. Cause we got a couple episodes in the season three. And we just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> we just that, we had to tap that's out. Another show where people are just freaking expendable. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, now the boys continues to be good. I'm not sure where this season's going. Because I, I realize there's only like three episodes left and, and I don't really see an endgame in sight. But, uh, you know, the acting's great. Uh, the new character, um, Stormfront, is, uh, yeah, it's dark. Yeah, I don't want to say more because you haven't seen it yet. But overall, um, it's doing a really good job of, instead of just directly adapting the comic book, which was a very directed aim at superhero comics being kind of commercial and dumb 
this one more or less takes it, it takes aim at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it appears on the surface to be taking aim at the Justice League. So it's not as pointed, which I think is probably a better thing, because, you know, if they were picking on directly on like, you know, some of your favorites like Spider-Man or Deadpool or Captain America, I think it would sting a little bit. But for some reason, attacking icons like Superman and Batman doesn't hurt as bad, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> I hate to say it. I don't know that the DC characters have aged as gracefully as some of the Marvel ones, which is not to say that some of the Marvel ones haven't aged poorly. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Squirrel Girl. I'm not afraid to say it. Oh, dude, Squirrel Girl's amazing. You got to read that comic. I love no, that no, comic. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable and great, but it just doesn't age as well. No, you should read the more modern comics of it. it, it it's become very much in the vein of Deadpool. It's it's a very... Ah, okay. Take. Well, that makes sense. Uh, no, the one, the one that hasn't aged well is the Fantastic Four. Like, oh no, my God. God, no, no, God, that's such a relic, such yeah. a relic. Yeah. I don't know why people keep trying to bring that back. Honestly, it, I would have said the same thing about some of the Spider-Man tropes, except they've done such a great job, uh, especially with like Miles Morales of updating it to a more modern world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was sad, like, cause, uh, um, uh, the Peter's friend and, and homecoming and all that is based off of a character from the Miles Morales arcs. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird to think about that. Peter didn't have any friends. Like the idea of the nerd with no friends just doesn't make sense anymore. And, and no, I, no, because nerds won the war. So yeah we, yeah, we get friends now. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but yeah, no, the boys continues to be good. We'll tell you what, why, why don't we finish your one new thing and then I'll start in with my new stuff. All right. Um, the other thing that I started to watch again because I got the uh, the HBO Max going is Lovecraft Country. Nice. Let me be the first to say that I think this might be the best thing on television, and it's the best thing to hit television in quite a long time. And I don't say that lightly. All right. It is just wow, wow, and they don't shy away from the hard topics because. You know, within the first 10, 15 minutes, they come right out and say, yeah, Lovecraft was a racist. And they 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 light him up about it. But then they make a a conscious choice through the dialogue of the characters to explore the Lovecraft universe by saying that, you know, um, stories are like people. You're not always going to like them, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy their company. It goes into this sort of like larger argument that people have been having lately of, uh, the idea of like death of the author, like it's kind of like, okay to like Lovecraft, even though he was horrifically, horribly racist because he's been dead a really long time, you know? Yeah. And, and so like the, his art can kind of stand on his own because he's not there ruining it any more than he already has. You know, it's this yeah. thing. Well, and, and there really is something to the argument of, of sometimes people are a product of their time, which is not to excuse their behavior, but that certainly tells you a big chunk of the reason why the behavior existed to begin with. Well, Lovecraft went a little above me on the product of his time. Oh, no, no. Could, he was just an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Make no mistake. We're going to keep CBS on because after Lower Decks finishes, uh, Discovery Season 3 is going to fire up. So I think we're going to keep it through that. But we've got a hole in our schedule after Discovery finishes up. And I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking about pitching the idea to switch to the HBO Max because, yeah, Lovecraft Country, I've heard a lot of good things about. I mean, we're definitely going to do it because I, I want to see Zack Snyder's Justice League, even though I'm sure it's not going to be that good. But I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I still want to watch it, too. Yeah. You, do, you don't often see that. You don't often see a, a film get reconstructed. The only other time I've ever heard of it happening, and I still haven't watched both versions of this. Maybe I'll have to fix that with the library. Halloween's coming up. But uh, the Exorcist prequel. Uh, there's two versions of that. Oh, yeah, around. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, uh, Blade Runner got multiple versions like this. Blade Runner got fixed. Well, yeah, but... Uh, 
it's not like it's an entirely different movie, you know? Eh, I would argue that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd argue about Blade Runner. Like, the, 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 that version is really different. I mean, not in a good way either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen both. Not, I don't... Not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> not even remotely. Switching to radio DJ voice. Not awesome. <laughs> Regardless. You, you still don't, you, even if you count that one or not, it, you, that's like three examples off the top of our heads. I can't even think of any more, to be honest with you, where you got to see a completely different build of the movie. Uh, by completely Kingdom of Heaven. Have you ever seen the director's cut? Of Again, that? but but it's still the director's cut, like uh, Justice League. And yeah, the it added prequels. an hour and 20 minutes to the film. But the but the, both of those movies had different directors working on them, which is kind yeah. of the key. So, oh, the Richard Donner cut of uh, Superman, too. That that one. I still have not seen that. Oh, hey, I wonder if they have that at the library. <laughs> that I also have not seen. Jeez, man. It's hard to believe that was the same movie. Truth. Anyway, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. What, what's really interesting is I'm three episodes in and each episode has been so unique. One's like a haunted house tale. One's a traditional monster in the woods tale. Like, but the thing is, they're all connected via this overarching dialogue or um, between this overarching plot. And, but they each feel unique and different in, a, in an interesting way, even though they're all serving the same machine. More importantly, the cast is, I mean, just jaw-droppingly good. Just amazing. The main lead of the show, Jonathan Majors, uh, is phenomenal. He's going to be in the next Ant-Man. I think he plays the bad guy. Oh, okay. Uh, he's going to play Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. <laughs> and after watching Lovecraft Country, oh my God, he's such a good actor. I cannot wait. Do you, do you know anything about Kang the Conqueror? Is he the little guy, the little misshapen guy that? No, 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 no. King the Conqueror is a dude from the future who is who uh, runs the world. Like he he has succeeded in world domination, but he starts going back in time so he can take over the world sooner. I can get behind that. And with Ant Man, you know, and the time travel stuff, like a dude coming from the future to take over the world that he has already taken over in the future. That that seems like an Ant Man villain in the cinematic universe. I could buy that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, he is a, uh, in the Marvel Universe, he is the reason Vision uh, got resurrected after his death. So, King the Conqueror went back in time to try to convince his teenage self to take over the world sooner. And gave him a set of armor. But his teenage self said, oh my god, future me's a dick. (laughs) He went back in time and made the Young Avengers and was running around as Iron Lad when Tony was dead. One of his many times that Tony has been dead. And, uh, And then the... Kang went back to the future. Teenage Kang went back to the future, but he left the armor. And before he left, he downloaded the vision AI into the armor, which became vision again. And that is how vision got resurrected from the dead at some point. That all rings true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there you go. There you go. I wonder if they're going to do all of that. And, and vision comes back younger somehow. So maybe they'll get a chance to recast vision with a younger dude for some reason. I don't know, but then he turns older again. So whatever <laughs> comic books, man, comic books along with him uh you've got michael williams from the wire um who is phenomenal once more uh you've got courtney b vance um who i really really started enjoying as an actor back in the 90s when he was in a a film called the last supper if you've ever seen that that's a great movie it's one of cameron diaz's first movies Hmm. and then it's got the original bad guy um if you remember the movie ghost Oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, what the hell's his name? Tony Goldwyn, I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's in there. 
<laughs> he showed up and the first thing I was looking at was like, hey, this is another ghost story. Like, what is it with this guy of the ghost? <laughs> it's like Sheen Bean and dying. <laughs> yeah. And and the new object of my absolute undying affection, uh, Journey Smollett. And she is phenomenal. All right. Uh, I'm curious, so maybe after Discovery, we'll boot it that up and start watching so it. It is so good. Um, Journey Smollett was in uh, Birds of Prey recently. That's where you, you might note her, uh, know for her from. Nice. But she is so, so good in this in this role. Like, she is amazing. And this, this whole show, just start to finish, every episode is just so well-constructed, and I'm just loving the daylights out of it. But I'll tell you, it can be a tough watch, Again, they do not shy away from the racism of this era, and it is rough. Mm-hmm. It is real rough. I mean, oh yeah, I want to watch Watchmen too. Speaking yeah, of- that's on my list too. Right, Watchmen will be it there too. Um, I think Regina King just won an Emmy for that, right? Yeah, yeah. She's so good. She, what talk about your talented actresses? All right. Well. First off, fired up the CBS All Access. They're starting to add more Paramount movies in there. But you know what? Most of the Paramount uh, catalog has already been leased out to other services, which is good because they put all the garbage that they still have that nobody wants. And one thing that nobody wants was a show or was a movie that I remember taping off of KCOP Channel 13 in my ute. The 1976 disaster movie epic, The Big Bus. I remember that. I, for whatever reason, when I was a child, watched the edited version of that religiously. I remember really liking that the bus had its own car wash. And I really, <laughs> really liked that. It was like Snowpiercer before Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible movie. And I was watching it with Gina and it like all came back from like the depths of my mind. And I could like recite it verbatim. It was eerie. Like I, I literally haven't watched this movie in probably over 30 years and it just dredged out of, out of the depths of my soul. And it was glorious. You know, I had a, I had a, a situation like that recently. Do you remember a movie called damnation alley 1977 vaguely? Um, for whatever reason, somebody said something and it reminded me of this movie because there's a character who was played by Paul Winfield and he sits down in a car and, that's all burnt out and he's pretending to drive it. And then he gets eaten by like mutant cockroaches. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I just remember it was like the first time a, a movie really, really, really made me uncomfortable and I don't like bugs. And so that really freaked me out. Nice. So I like it. Anyway, I had to pitch that. It, it's not a good movie. And neither was this, as I recall. I mean, Jan Michael Vincent was the star. So what does that tell us when TV's Airwolf is in a movie? My, mine has a, a rather overly long, long fart joke involving the bus and trying to get up to 90 miles an hour to, to quote, break the wind. Oh, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, and then based off of our uh, talk from A View to a Kill, I watched 1983's movie Brainstorm starring... The Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. And this was the movie that Natalie Wood died during yep. when, <laughs> yeah, when she uh, back in 1981. And it took him a couple of years to get this movie out because MGM, once again, was having financial troubles. What? Yeah. No, yeah. Never. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know what to expect going into this. I just wanted to watch 
a walk-in movie. And I gotta oh, say, man. he's like 100% walking in that one. Oh, he is 100%. Well, no, no, no. He, <laughs> there, he is, there is no toning that one down. He's got the walk-in ratcheted to 11. Okay, okay. If he's 100% walking in this movie, then in Whitley Stryber's communion, he's like 150% walking. That's fair. Because he is, he is, he does not outwalk in his walkingness in, in Whitley Schreiber's communion. But then again, I think he knew what he was in in that one. So this one, he's actually trying to like play it good. It, it's a movie about a guy who starts, ma- he invents a machine that can record like experiences. It's kind of like virtuosity, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but well, it, it, it can record like the experience of death is like the big well, existential mean, plot. Spoiler. Spoiler, that's the that's like the th- end of the second act when that happens. I think it's yeah. fair to say that we don't have to call spoiler on forty year old movies. I kinda wanna call spoiler because I, I, I found it it wasn't great, but it was it was a good ride. Like I I really enjoy that movie. Which it, I agree. It's not a good movie. It's not great, but there are some uh, very enjoyable aspects to it. Overall, if you if you get a chance to watch it and you got nothing else better to do, it's one of those. <laughs> that's <laughs> it fair. Might, be, uh, might uh, be worth a viewing. Then, uh, based off that thing I talked about ages ago when I read Trinity, the role-playing game again, I got from my library finally the four-hour and 47-minute director's cut of the 1991 movie Until the End of the World. I can't believe you watched this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I, I've been reading a lot about this cut and uh, about how, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like Blade Runner. The director felt like it didn't, you know, it, the... the, the theatrical cut which i watched was like the reader's digest version and uh no 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 that that movie needs to be about two hours because the five hour version was so dull wait are you are you trying to say that a a a french auteur film overstayed its welcome it is not french Sir, oh, it is not <laughs> the, the director is Australian. Think, I well, hold on, let me let me double check that. I know it was filmed a lot in Australia, the world because that totally is. sounds like a, a French concept movie. The, the the lead actress is French. Oh, no, he's German. Wim oh, Winter, like. Wim Winters, yes, he's German. It was filmed a lot in Australia, still not French. I was right on that front. The setup of Until the End of the World. Uh, is there's a nuclear satellite that the orbit is decaying and it may end the world because radiation, I guess. And that is like the backdrop for like this weird road trip movie where there's this lady whose uh, boyfriend cheated on her. So she goes to Italy uh, to party and then she like meets this guy and he's like he's like a criminal or something and people are after him, blah, blah, blah. And she chases him all over the world. And then the third act happens, which is, bizarre and no one's ever going to watch this movie. So I'll spoil it right now. But if, if, if you want to watch this movie, I, I, I don't know if I could recommend it, but it turns out that he's got this camera that you can use to, uh, transmit images to blind people and his mom's blind. And he stole the camera from like DARPA or something. So that's why the CIA is after him. It's, it's, it's craziness. And then like the mom dies and then they figure out that the camera can be used to record dreams. And then they get all addicted to watching their dreams. Cause I don't know. And then, uh, the lady, uh, the, the boyfriend, the, the cheating boyfriend shows back up. Who's played by Sam Neill, by the way. Uh, and he like, kind of like gets her off of like watching her own dreams. And then she ends up an astronaut. It, yeah, it's a weird movie. Um, <laughs> what was, uh, what was interesting about it was, okay. So it was made in 1991 and it was about the near future of the year 1999. Right. And it's interesting how like, 
the director guy picked up on threads that were going on at the time, but he got them wrong in hilarious ways. For example, they have video phones, right? Like you can, you can, like, like we are right now, you could, you could talk to each other over whatever. But, uh, early on in the movie, she goes and uses a payphone that has a little screen attached to it, you know? Aw, payphones. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this part later where she goes to actual factual China and she sends a video back to her cheating ex-boyfriend, Sam Neill. And, uh, she pays quote an arm and a leg to send it via video fax. And it's funny that he got the idea that you could definitely send videos in the future. Just video faxing is hilariously stupid concept. It, it, it doesn't take into account that fax is a short for facsimile. It's, it's not inherently a video transmission. It's just a copy. It's like a Xerox over the phone lines. It's fine. At the end, they have a a call between several people at the same time, although they also refer to it as... They were FaceTiming? Yeah, they were FaceTiming, except they refer to it as costing him an arm and a leg. But yeah, they totally FaceTime it in too. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Uh, There's just a lot of weird things like that where they, they get the future right, but they get it wrong. They get it hilariously wrong and hilariously right. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And... They called it. They uh, they go to San Francisco at one point, and uh, yeah, there uh, the there's a lot of really cheap, awful apartment housing in there because you're either super rich or super broke, and in, in, you know, yeah, they nailed the hell out of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, there's just a. It was an interesting movie where this guy kind of picked up a lot of threads, and then supposedly what the movie is about because the whole viewing your dreams and whatever is he was trying to make a movie about how society is getting so into capturing images and not actually living life, which is what supposedly the theme of the movie is, which I don't think he got that theme right at all. This is just from the director's mouth, but it's interesting. A lot of the things that they're talking about have are, are basically just talking about social media and just stuff like that. And it's, it's just weird how, yeah, it's a, it's a strange movie would not recommend unless you like really, 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 really overly long and pretentious sci-fi flicks. And I really like overly long and pretentious sci-fi flicks, but this was pushing it for me. It, no, it was I enjoyed both, uh, both versions of Solaris. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the, uh, overly long and pretentious sci-fi flicks. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this was rough. Four hours and 47 minutes of overly lingering shots in way too many places. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, just not my cup of tea. Maybe yours, maybe yours. No, um, I don't then, think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least, uh, we watched Bumblebee the other day, the Transformers movie, which I found out is not a prequel to the the Shia LaBeouf uh, Transformer films. Uh, it is then how do they explain the timeline? Because nothing makes sense. They decided it's going to be a reboot, like uh, future movies, like Bumblebee will happen in the future movies, but they are not picking up the older Michael Bay Transformer movies. They are moving on to a new story and a new timeline. But that doesn't make sense because he looks just the same. Kind of. No, I like the robot design in this a lot more. They look no, a lot more. it's a better like, robot design without a doubt. Yeah, so he does look different. I his thought this was kind of bomb too. It didn't bomb. It made like $400 million. It made its money back. It just didn't make like a ton of money. The studio said it didn't lose money. It just didn't make like all of the money. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a lot better. I, I, I sat down to watch it and I got interrupted and I never went back to it. Yeah, it was uh, my my daughter really liked it because, you know, go figure. It's got a it's got a lady protagonist. So she really enjoyed watching it. Who knew? Yeah. Who who would have figured that representation matters? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And but Bumblebee's adorable. He's a cute little robot. And they kind of channel a little bit of the Iron Giant. And is, is it a good film? No, it's it's a popcorn film, but it was fun. I had a good time. 
And it's right. safe enough for the kids. There's explosions and robot battles. My daughter started crying when the bad guys were beating up Bumblebee. It was cute. <laughs> that gets us out of movies and TVs. Let's go ahead and switch to books. Okay. Is this Aquilare? Aquilare, yes. The the Spanish role-playing game that I've oh, talked about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I finally finished it. I finally finished it. And oh, oh my God. So I told you last time I was trying, I was having problems parsing like what the point of the game is, you know, like what are you supposed to do? Because they say it's like, oh, you're like a commoner and you're supposed to use demonic magic to raise your state. That's not in there. That's not in there at all. Like it's, it's just like, here's medieval Spain. Go that, that is the setup. And you can learn demon magic if you want or, or godly magic. Well, take your pick, go, go. And it's like, oh, Okay. And, and what are games supposed to be about? And I read the adventures. The adventures are like, there's a cursed tower that has bandits in it. You fight the bandits. Bah. And I'm like, okay. And then the other really, really, really jarring thing is uh, they went with that, as we were talking about with Harlem Unbound, they went with that really simulationist, like historically accurate, you know, 15th century Spain. And uh, yes, in the tail half of the book where they're talking about fluff and they're talking about the areas, anytime when they start talking about fluff and they talk about Jewish people, they call them, quote, the Jews who kill Christ. And I know that's what people thought at the time. I get it. But it's still kind of jarring and weird to read, like just sort of blatant anti-Semitism in the book. Do they do they cover it the same way that Harlem Unbound covers no. the topic? No, they cover it in like people were anti-Semitic at the time. So this is how they thought. And then they just sort of like spill it out. And there's nothing in there about, you know, maybe if you have a Jewish person at the table, maybe you shouldn't just refer to Jews as the Jews who kill Christ the whole time, you know, because that's how they imply it. And they get onto the the whole topic of women in this game and they pull the whole card of like women can't be anything except whores and uh, whores, warlocks and noble women to get married off and used as property. Like like they they just go there and I'm like, just kind of unfortunate. Kind of a bad look. Well, this version of the game is like 10, 15 years old. And uh, I was talking about with my buddy. Um, there, first off, there's that whole thing about gendered language and how it could kind of influence your, you know, the way you talk about men and women and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's problematic in Latin languages. Yes. Uh, the second thing to remember, and I, I'd forgotten this too, Spain is like what, like, I think 1982 is when they overthrew their fascist dictatorship. <laughs> so, you know, in living memory, they were pretty right wing fascist dictators, you know. Or in a, in a fascist, you know, society like that officially was unaffiliated with World War II and remained neutral. But the that that power group in Spain at the time during World War II was. Yeah, let, let us not le- forget about the Spanish Civil War, as or as I like to call it, the World War II prequel weapons test, which was no, no small action. Like that was a vile, terrible, terrible conflict. Yeah. And they they were slightly allied with the Axis powers, but they stayed officially out of it. Which, we'll get to that a little bit in the future. It'll come full circle. Wait for it. But again, I, I don't know if I can recommend that game because, like, I don't know what the game's supposed to be about. It just sort of presents, you know, 14-something, you know, medieval Spain and says, go play it. And, and what do you do? What's the over... Who are the bad guys? Who are the good guys? Eh, who knows? Demons, I guess? Monsters, maybe? But, like, yeah, it, it doesn't have, like, a meta plot. It doesn't have anything to hang a hook on. And like some role playing games, especially older ones have that problem where they, they get really into the nuances of world building. And then when you're, you know, go to play it, it's like, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, I had that problem with uh, vampire, the Requiem. And I can't think of, I I know I've had that problem with games where they, they present this great world. And then it's like, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Playing it, playing it, idiot. And it's like, ugh. 
like at least Heirs of Magicka gives you this whole hook of you belong to the Order of Hermes and you know there's there's wizard cops and you probably belong to a wizard group and blah you know at least it gives you something to hang your hat on but this doesn't even give you much of anything it just says make a character you can roll it randomly maybe you're noble maybe you're a commoner why are you hanging out together I don't know and yeah it's it's got problems because of that and maybe you need to like buy a campaign for it to make it make sense I know in Spain they have tons of them but unfortunately like next to nothing has been translated into English so I will never know what have you been reading, Jonathan? I uh, have had an opportunity to re... Well, I finished Caliban's War, which was the second Expanse book. Oh, God, so now you got to watch season two of The Expanse. Yes, that's on the list, but it's not a priority right now. I, I want to get through Lovecraft Country and Raised by Wolf. Um, and then I, I found a small book called Super Mario at the used bookstore because I went the other day to, to look for some lighter reading. And it's basically a... a Nintendo specific biography of the video game industry from about 82 to 2012. Hmm. And, um, it's fascinating. It's light reading. It goes really quick. It's like 350 pages. And yeah, I chewed through that. And then I've started Abaddon's gate, which is the third expanse book. So there you go. That's what I've had. Caliban's war was great, by the way. Like I forgot how fantastic those authors are at, uh, descriptive language. The language they use is phenomenal. Yeah, I got to give those books a try. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. Just want to throw this out there. It's been a dark time. So I, I really enjoyed writing uh, my Maravosia stuff. So I rebooted it because I have been learning more about medieval Spain. And I've been enjoying that. So I integrated more of that in. And yeah, if if you're bummed, just take some time. Do something that brings you joy. It's cool, baby. Just do it. That's all I'm going to say. It's good times. It's good times. And speaking of things that bring us joy, Jonathan, you've been playing Fall Guys more? I have been I playing Fall have. Guys more. Not as much as you, I don't think. I'm only like level 23 in the the season oh, pass. I, oh, God. I'm like level 26 or something. I only play like three, four games a day. And it's mainly because the boys, like I can use it as a treat for the boys. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, my like, kids hey, love it too. They Like if it's on, they'll they'll sit there and watch it and cheer me on and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I've trained my boys to say right before the round begins, I go, don't get eliminated. And then both my little twins go, don't get eliminated. Nice. <laughs> I'm trying to teach them to do the, the the peace sign together and go and say, go team venture, because <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out there. I think Miles would make a decent Hank and, and Barry would make a decent Dean. Just going to just going to put that there, <laughs> save it for later. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they really like Fall Guys, so we, we watch it as a family. And, and, and it's funny, too, because I, I have a really problem watching my mouth when I play video games. So sometimes oh, I when, I, when I screw up and I fall, like one of, one of my little awful children will go like, ah, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you that Amelia threw a goddamn it after uh, Jessica said it the other day? <laughs> I didn't even nice. take a... Uh, take ownership of it it wasn't my fault for once <laughs> it had to happen at some point yeah yeah one of my boys did it are you effing kidding me after i got wrecked <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i was playing i was playing overwatch again and i got i just got wrecked somehow and i and, and then one of my boys just goes are you effing kidding me and i'm like that's gonna Don't happen say that. playing it 
playing any number of things, I'm sure that there will be an are are, are you effing something right? But my mouth. but this time I didn't say it out loud. I'd actually been watching myself because they've been repeating me more. So I've been good. I've been good lately. But they remember Jonathan. They oh, remember. I know they got long memories. They have long <laughs> memories. Oh, God. It's not fair. No, they're screwed. Anyway, they remember like they do. It's not fair that they remember like they do. No, it's not. It's not. You try to be a good parent once you realize how badly you're screwing up, and they just don't let it. Ugh, no, they, they they don't let it go at all. Not even a little bit. No, not even an iota. Not even a, not even a, in an inch. <sighs> anyway, are we done? Said all the things we love. Well, no, we, I haven't covered. Oh, you got your video. video. Yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. So Fall Guys, like you said, uh, a lot of Fall Guys. And then um, uh, I've been playing Spider-Man. Uh, I'm almost done. I'm in the last act of the uh, story, which is kind of cool. It's not perfect, but it's a really perfect Spider-Man game. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I really like that Spider-Man game. It's it's really good. Yeah, like, it's just... I mean, I, you know, it's honestly, not a perfect anything, video game, but... It, it overstays its welcome a little bit. And I hate to say that, but it's like... I feel like I've been playing it forever. I've got easily 40 hours into it. And I don't feel like I've barely progressed the plot, but I also have completed nearly every damn side quest at this point. Yeah, I haven't done that pigeon quest because I did it once when I rented the game. And then for some reason, my save didn't take, but I started over because I was happy with that. And uh, I remember hating that pigeon quest. I'm like, no, not going to do that again. See, I no. didn't have a problem with it. Carlos was telling me the same thing when he was playing. He had a problem with the pigeons, too. And I I aced the pigeons. The pigeons weren't the problem at all. Mm. For me, it's the Silver Sable guys. They're just like so many on the screen at any given time. It doesn't matter what I do. They just interrupt everything I try. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, Spider-Man, uh, Fall Guys. Um, I got the Avengers game. How is that? It's, um. Did I lose you or is this that long no, of a pause? I'm. It's a collection of very good ideas and best intentions that very much feels like the most it ever hits in any one category is like 70%. Mm. Does that make sense? <clears throat> that makes sense. The the character of Kamala Khan, the way she's played is phenomenal. Like she's she's endearing uh in 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 a very special way that that only really the Marvel movies have managed to capture. Cool. Um, okay. So the, the storyline itself is quite interesting and quite good. The The problem is, my first problem with it is that the camera is mounted in the most awkward place. It never feels like a good natural camera angle. And, and coming from Crystal Dynamics and their experience with Tomb Raider, that really came as a shock to me. Because the cameras in Tomb Raider are fantastic. The combo system is interesting and deep. But the AI is so bad that you don't ever feel like you can really engage any of your higher end combos because you're constantly trying to run to the AI and, and, and get engaged properly. And it doesn't do you a really good job of giving you 360 degree awareness of where attacks are coming from. So I'm constantly getting interrupted and, and hit by things that I, I didn't even have a warning on, you know? Hmm. It's not like Spider-Man where you have the little... Spidey sense coming line or they, whatever. They tried to do it, but they didn't accomplish it well. If that if that makes sense, that makes sense. There, there, there's a lot to like there, but it, there's also a lot of really 
unfinished ideas. Well, it's supposed to be like a Destiny game. Like, after you beat it, you can just kind of do missions over and over again, a la, like, Diablo. Yeah, and And it's really weird, though. Like, you pick up all these upgrades, but there's no visual change to your character, which kind of sucks. Oh, that is weird. That and, And it's like, okay... I picked up this new upgrade for the Hulk. Congratulations. He now has a stronger spine that you can't see because it's internal. And it doesn't even really make sense if you really stop and think about it too much. (laughs) Yeah, considering how how great the costuming was in Injustice, too. You know, by making Mm -hmm. your suit the way you want. Like, I'm shocked they didn't try to do something like that. Different developer, but yeah. Well, I know it's a different developer, but it it would have been better. It would have been better. There are some great suits in it. Like there's some real classic stuff, like Hulk in a in a like purple uh, pants and a no no black like shirt. Hulk in a suit. Oh oh, like Gray Hulk. Nice. Yeah, and then they've got uh, um, Gladiator Hulk coming from uh, Ragnarok, Planet yeah. Hulk. So and, I don't know. And it's, Sony it's, customers are going to get the exclusive Spider Man, <laughs> which yeah, we're pissed about. <laughs> yeah, it it's. Uh, it is what it is. It's not perfect. I'm not going to say that I'm not having fun with it. I am, but it's not perfect. N- not as, not even close, actually. Uh, and then I got Borderlands 3 on super cheap on Steam sale. It was like 30 bucks for the everything version. Yeah. Including all the DLC. How should I put this? Borderlands 3 is... It's like when you meet the fringes of your family. And the first time you meet him, you have a good time and you laugh a lot and you know that there's some things wrong with them, but you still had a pretty good time. So, you know what? We'll just call it fun. And then the second time you meet him, yeah, some of those same laughs, but but some of the, the, the weirder components of their themselves come out and you're like, OK, well, that that bugs me a little bit, but I, I still had a good time. And then by the third time, it's not funny anymore and you're still finding all the flaws. So that's kind of where we are with Borderlands right now. The shtick is old. It doesn't feel fresh anymore. It's not irreverent. It's just stupid and 12-year-old and sophomoric. And it's it's funny because when Borderlands first started coming out on the 360, what, eight, nine years ago, it felt very fresh and different. But the world has changed, and it's not so fresh and different now. It just feels very sophomoric. Yeah, I could buy that. So that's that's kind of my take on it. it it's, it's fun. Like I, I still like the looter shooter concept. That is fun. The writing isn't nearly as good as it was in past Borderlands games. Didn't they have to crank that one out quickly because, you know, they had that other game that didn't do too well? Uh, oh, uh, the... The thing that went up against Overwatch and failed? and just got its ass (laughs) beat. Yeah. I I don't know if it was rushed or not. It doesn't feel rushed from a polished perspective. Hmm. Of course, I'm playing it more than a year later, but... But yeah, I mean, like, it was... I don't know. In 2009, the humor was different. Like, I know it's only 10 years, but that makes a difference. Yeah, no, it does. Honestly, it's like a, it's the Adam Sandler of games. <laughs> the first one, I was like, ha ha, he's funny and he yells a lot. And then the second one, I was like, OK, he's still pretty funny. But like, man, maybe he should try a different shtick. And then the third one, you're just like, oh, God, is this all Sandler does? And and then you'll get the water boy in there and you're like, wow, wow. And then it'll go back different. to that. And then, and then you'll get punch drunk love and you're like, oh, wow. And then it'll go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> what you're saying is I'll like Borderlands 4. I'll love Borderlands 5. And then Borderlands 6 will be a return to stupidity. Yes. All right, yes. cool. Well, at least I know what I'm getting into in the next couple. There you We're go. We're on the upswing, right? Positive <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there you so, go. 
There you go. Uh, what about board games? You and I have been playing Rally Man. Yes, we have. So we got paused because it was stuck on my wife's turn, but on her end, it said it was stuck on your turn, and we had to do some shenanigans to get it un. Oh, yeah, I, I went right away. I always go right away. I know, but it, it she would check in. She's like, oh, is it my turn yet? And she'd check it. It's like, it, you know, Jonathan has to go. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then would put it away. And then uh, Ray actually told me today, it's like, it's been Gina's turn forever. I'm like, really? And I checked and it said it was Gina's turn. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. And I don't know what happened, but we uh, we turned it on and off again and it it booted right up correctly. So just some little snag happened somewhere. But yeah, so I haven't gone in like a week. So I don't know. I spun out. I'm a little pissed about that. Um, you know, honestly, uh, I don't know who set it up. Uh, not that it matters, but they set it up on like a super advanced mode on that a would be super, super difficult track. So like, <laughs> we're getting our asses kicked. That would be Ray. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Ray, Ray chose a very, very, very like high end track with a very high end uh, setup. So it's it's tough, man. Like it's not <laughs> the, the the base game when you when you first get started. If you play one of the easier tracks and whatnot, is not nearly this this like destructive. All right, all right. Well, maybe we'll have to give it. A, I, I wonder if it was just random. Who knows? I don't know. We'd have to ask him. Let's find out. There you go. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment. Uh, we will take a very, very quick break. And when we return, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment. So we will be back in just a moment. We love getting feedback. So please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the amazing, wonderful, well, all of a sudden, actually quite existent uh, tabletop news. Because <laughs> it was really quiet there for a long time, but it's back. Kind of, kind of. Well, you've got four and I've got four, right? Yeah, we do. All right, let's get right into it. You want to go first or you want me to go first? What do you want to do? Uh, zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. Maybe just shake my rump. I don't know. Just shake my rump. Yes. All I want to do is got my boom, 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 and a zoom, zoom. Check, baby. Check, baby. One, two, three. Oh my God! Where's this coming from? <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's just weaselled its way into you, as it has all of us. <laughs> and that, my friend, is why pop music is the devil. But <laughs> <laughs> move it right along. You go, 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 go. 
<laughs> uh, Wizards of the Coast has announced new figurines of adorable power. You bought yourself a gift not all that long ago. I was just going to ask you if there's anything in there that I needed to get because uh, honestly, I love my gift. Maybe look, look at the look at the link I got. There's a, there's a you know uh, uh, pictures of them in there, but the new items are oh. a black a black dragon. Uh, oh, he's so good. Which one? The the dragon. Huh. Next one up is a what they call a, a boule or a uh, land shark. He's boring. Thanks. Goblin. He's all right. And the roper. <sighs> I mean, they are adorable, but they're not gif adorable. That's true. That's true. I was a little. So I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna solid pass on this. The gift set a high bar because <laughs> he's freaking amazing. Mine's sitting on top of my PlayStation right now, looking at him. Yeah. There you go. Reginald P. Hippobottom. Reginald P. Hippobottom. The ep- an episode namesake. He's he makes me so happy. He should. I think his friends call him Reggie. All right, so more more figurines of adorable power on their way. Uh, go take a look at them. I mean, it's, it's no gift, but they're still pretty damn adorable. They are pretty damn adorable. Well, speaking of expansions, uh, we talked about Ant Man uh, for Marvel Champions last week. Well, guess who else got announced? Uh, Squirrel Girl. Almost. You got the right idea, but what goes with an Ant Man? The wasp? More than a wasp. That's Uh right. Raised in the Soviet brainwashing program known as the Red Room, Nadia Van Dyne spent the first years of her life in training as a deadly elite assassin. After she escaped with the help of the Pym particle sample, Nadia immigrated to the United States, where she built her own wasp suit and joined the Avengers, using her powers to fight villains of any size. Yes, Fantasy Flight has announced their newest hero pack for Marvel Champions, and that is the Wasp. Nice. I like it. So I'm stoked. The art looks really good. I mean, it's it's right in line with the uh, Ant-Man expansion. It's a 40-card pre-built aggression deck. And yeah, it's it's. I like that game, too. I like that Marvel Champions. Maybe we should deep dive that soon. Back to you in the studio, Robert. So our friends down at Funko have announced a new board game, Disney's The Haunted Mansion Call the Spirits. I'm you know, so I, into this. I was so jelly when you posted that. I notes. dibs, man. Haunted Mansion's my jam. I own the soundtrack. You know that? I was driving around in my car with my buddy in the car and it just came on randomly because I put my whole playlist on shuffle and he's like, what is this? I'm like, it's The Haunted Mansion. And he's like, is this just like a recording of the ride? And I'm like, Yes. And it's glorious. And I bought that soundtrack. I'm waiting to hear a downside to that. I know. I have no shame. Halloween fun in this family board game from Funko. Players explore the iconic rooms of the famous haunted manor in search of spirits. This is a simple press your luck style game that features a ghost bidding system and a position misdirection in the form of hallway changes throughout the game. Should be out by Halloween and is only $24.99. Well, I've played a lot of The Reckoners uh, over the past couple of years, uh, mostly thanks to Dale because he backed it on Kickstarter and we played a lot and it's fun, right? The Reckoners is getting an expansion finally, Steel Slayer. <laughs> and it's designed by the same uh, folks that did the original game. Still one to six players, 14 and up, all that fun stuff hasn't changed. But this comes with a new uh, module, four new Reckoners. 18 pieces of equipment, 31 remastered, and seven brand new epics. And a third... Oh, wow, there's three modules in there. Nice. So um, there's quite a lot of stuff in there. Uh, It was on Kickstarter. It still is on Kickstarter right now. Uh, It's going to come next year, August of 2021, is what they're saying. 
And yeah, if you enjoyed the first Reckoners, this gives it a lot more depth that I think, uh, honestly, I think it's really going to help it get some legs because they, the core game is fun, but I think this gives it a little bit of extra oomph. Well, that sounds cool. Uh, is this new character in, in the, uh, the Reckoners, is he like metal? Like when you said, when you said the guy's name, I, I just expected like some, some guy who looks like somebody on like a, a death metal album cover. Given how ridiculously overproduced this game is, I wouldn't be surprised if you were actual metal. <laughs> but I wanted to be like all death metally with like a mohawk. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got a little bit of the long hair thing going on. Kind of looks like Metallica's replacement bassist. <laughs> Fun to be honest. Is that nearly that funny? <laughs> I'm used to making you laugh, but I don't usually get this kind of when, funny. When I, was a, when I was a lad, I, I used to hang out with a guy named Jason, and he, uh, oh, yeah, Felix. I don't know why we called him Felix, but we did. And he, he was just really into Metallica, and we had a lot of conversations about Metallica. And I, I for for somebody who only owns one of their albums, I have a, an odd amount of like knowledge and I just kind of keep tabs on them, you know, because it, it gives me the nostalgia. It makes me think of the good times with my buddy. So uh, so I know who the replacement basis is. I don't know why that was funny, but it, it's the nostalgia. It just came all around, enveloped you know, me. Just, just go and find a picture of the box and tell me if that's not the first thing that comes to mind. OK, what, what was the what was the exact name again? Steel Slayer, I think it was. Steel, I already closed the window. Steel Slayer. The wreck and ours. Oh, that that's Steel Slayer? I don't know if it is or not. I don't know if it is or not. I just know that that's the guy that looks like the replacement bassist <laughs> from Metallica. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. You are not wrong. Agreed. Right? Agreed. Right? Agreed. All right. Uh, all right. Moving right along. Is it your turn? It's my turn. Monolith Games, who recently, I guess, completed, or I'm not sure, they did a Batman board game not all that long ago. Oh, yeah, I've got it sitting right here. I haven't haven't dug into the encyclopedia, which is the rule set yet. Well, they have announced that they are going to produce a Batman role-playing game using, quote, the D20 system. So does that mean third edition? Does it mean fifth edition? Who knows? Who? Maybe they're going to make up their own game, a la Mutants and Masterminds. First off, it's they're gonna it's coming to Kickstarter soon-ish. Eh. They're planning on having five books. Uh, three they've announced: a rule book, a book that is an encyclopedia or cyclopedia of uh, Gotham City, an adventure book, and two more that will be announced during the Kickstarter. I guess they will be stretch goals. And when is this? Soon-ish, coming to Kickstarter. Man. I I can't afford this crap. They got to stop because I'll buy the living hell out of this. But people on the interwebs are having kittens about this game because Jonathan, because everything that's old is friggin' new again. We're back in the the is are the zero zeros ought are they, those the aughts? Like ought one would be two thousand one. Um, we're back in the O's. We're back in the O's. So back in the day when third edition Dungeons and Dragons came out and they made the D20 license so anybody could make D20 stuff, people started making D20 everything, everything, Farscape, Stargate, whatever, you named it, made it classes D&D and game designers and people who were like, you know, like a little bit hoity-toity were like, that game, that game is not well served by the Dungeons and Dragons. It should not be Dungeons and Dragons. There's so many better rule sets for it. And it's like, son... You want to know why it's D20? It's because people watch the critical role and D&D is king. And that's why. So you know what? Just deal with it. It's okay. It's fine. You know what? 
don't be the fun police. Don't let people have their, you know, you're not the fun police. Don't be them. Just let, yeah, the, let the kids have fun. If you want to play it, if you really desperately want to play a Batman RPG that bad in a better system, then go do it. There's nothing stopping you from from taking the source material and just applying a different system to it. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, uh, it's been floating around the internet. Uh, I found it on N-World. They've got some of the concept art up. Uh, They're going to make a cool-looking map. Uh, It's all 3D and stuff. If you click on the link, it should be in that link, Jonathan, if you scroll down a little bit. Um, And they've got – it's a French company, so the art's going to be good. You know the art's going to be good. The rules – Is it going to be five hours long? That was a German director, sir. I know. but It did have a French French actress. Yes, that's true. Thing is a thing. Did you know in the wargaming world, uh, the French are considered to uh, be the best painters in the hobby? And in most French tournaments, painting gets you just as many points as winning the damn tournament. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. It's Didn't a thing. see that coming. I like these sketches that they've got. The characters look great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of their... I, I recognize some of that art, but some of it's new. And, and the 3D map they're making of Gotham City actually looks really cool. I, I like... They've got like a, a beta map or a test map, but it, it looks pretty rad. Yeah, it's, that's really neat, actually, the isometric perspective. Yeah, yeah. And it's hand-drawn. I like it. I'm down. I'll play this. I'll and play and you know what? Like, Gotham City legit is is that well-detailed. Like, I, I have an old book, and the map matches this. Like, yes, Gotham City is this laid out. <laughs> Pandasaurus made some announcements for upcoming stuff. Um, they've got four games coming out in October because holidays. Right. Uh, they've got the game quick and easy, which is a, um, not that the game was particularly deep or complicated, but it's an even quicker and easier way to play the game. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I heard on good authority that I just lost the game. <laughs> I hate you so much. What? <laughs> I'm trapped here. It's a, it's a trap. What? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just leaving it alone. Oh, okay. oh, Han, oh, Hanami okay. is another um, game. Both of these, by the way, are from Stefan Bendorf. Uh, oh, Hanami is uh, Japanese inspired art. And you have cards that are numbered from one through 120 in four different colors. Two to four players play cards uh, from their hand. Uh, it's a hand of 10 cards per player. And then they, oh, no, excuse me. It's a hand of 10 cards. They play one and then pass the rest to the next person. And the played cards have to fit into one of three lines, always in numerical order. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know. So it's a tiny card game that fits in a tiny box with really absolutely gorgeous art by um, Christian Opperer. They also have a game called Robots coming out. Or as it was known in Germany, We're Sind die Roboter. (laughs) pretty sure i just butchered the hell out of that i am so sorry to anybody that speaks german feel free to correct me uh and this was actually nominated for the 2020 kinderspiel de jahr so this actually has my interest peaked it's a cooperative limited communication game reminiscent of the mind and then finally a game about ecosystem gods love dinosaurs from casper lap it's a tile placement and area control game for two to five players. You take on the role of gods, creating an ecosystem with a sustainable food chain of predator and prey animals. And you need to carefully manage who's eating who um, and who will be eaten in order to keep the most impressive dinosaurs. That's the one that has me most interested. I really want to play that, actually. 
So there you go. Pandasaurus firing on all cylinders for uh, Holiday 21. Or Holiday 20. I wish, wish it was Holiday 21. Maybe the things would be better. Mm-hmm. Well, over the weekend was the D&D celebration. And I did not watch any of it, and I should have. I, it's it's on my list of things to do. I was going to watch the repeats on YouTube, but they just put it on as an 11-hour block. And I'm like, uh, jerks. But uh, some news came out of that. They have confirmed that the psionic classes that were in Unearthed Arcana will be in Tasha's Guide. The sidekick rules will be expanded to include animal companions, if you so choose. They previewed two new paths, a wild magic barbarian, which I really like, and a genie patron warlock, which I also really like. And they have said in the coming years, they're going to shift focus to more settings. They both confirmed that more magic crossovers are coming, and they are currently working on three classic D&D settings for real. So let the wild speculation begin. And I, if nothing of this has come out, I may, I may make a, a prediction on this at the end of the year, but I, it, <clears throat> they probably won't all come out in the same year. So it's probably a really poor idea, but I'm going to throw it out here. This is my, my things. I think dark sudden spell jammer are give are gimmies, but I think the wild card is because of like game of Thrones and like the political fantasy that's been hot lately. I think they're going to do birthright because why do Dragonlance or Greyhawk? Those are just, you know, like forgotten realms. It's just generic fantasy. You don't need more generic fantasy. You need something weird. You need something political. You need rules to be a king and have politicking. Close this out, Jonathan. The Op, who you may know as the artist formerly known as USA Opley, has announced a new game in their Yahtzee series, Yahtzee Cup of Noodles. Okay. Like the Cup of Noodles, you know, the one that was made famous by... Uh, oh, I Nissan. know. I know the Cup of Noodles. I mean, noodles. Like everybody knows this. This is college staple, right? It's the ramen. Right, right. It's got beef, carrots, shrimp, lime, corn, chicken, and now Yahtzee dice. Okay. And the dice are all custom. So when you roll them, you're not rolling for numbers. You're rolling for the different ingredients in a cup of noodles. My daughter may be interested in this. I actually, oddly enough, I've been thinking about ordering a copy of this for my son for Christmas because he loves him some cup of noodles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same, same with Awen. Same but with I'll Owen. warn you because each box comes stamped with a label. And that label is a warning. Caution. Competition gets heated. <laughs> It's much more than soup. I don't know where else to go with this. I just saw it. It was so weird. I had to talk about it. I, <laughs> it's I, so, I, I, so weird. I am currently looking it up on the interwebs, my friend. I mean, like, it's oddly perfect. I am I am now copying an article of it and sending it to the wife. Because, you know, Christmas and birthdays are coming up. So, yeah, there you go. Yahtzee, cup of noodles. Can I order this yet? I, I can on the site I'm on. Fifteen bucks. Jonathan. Sorry, I'm just looking at this Yahtzee cup of noodles and I'm realizing I kind of need this in my life. I, I, I'm glad we're having this moment. Should we call it a bonding moment between us? <laughs> I see what you're doing there. But we don't that have time very, for that. We have very, no time to bond. Very thinly veiled <laughs> attempt <laughs> at connecting two segments is, of course, an opportunity for us to introduce our no time to bond segment that is, of course, where we talk about all of the Bond movies. We are watching them in order. We are currently on part 18 of our 28-part series. We're watching these movies in order of their release date, which means we are on um, 
the 17th film of the series because we did the one spinoff. Yep. And that is 1995's GoldenEye. Wow, look at that. 95 on episode 95. I didn't even make that connection until just now. That was really lucky. <laughs> like We didn't even try to make that happen. There you go. See, all comes full circle. Got 95, the theme of the theme of the show today. There you go. Theme of the show. All right. So last time we mentioned that the Bond movies had, always had, had a budget of $32 million. This one, six years later, up the ante to nearly double $60 million budget, made $352 million. MGM done found themselves some financing. Uh, as we mentioned last time, MGM got into some financial trouble, which is way too complicated to get bum, into. Bum, bum, bum. So you're welcome for the Wikipedia read if you are interested. The TLDR. MGM wanted to get sold to various people who wanted to pawn off the 007 movie broadcast rights for next to nothing, which Eon did not like because money. So lawsuits ensued. That's the TLDR version. Basically, United Artists ended up with the MGM license. Yes, well, but it oh, it's so much more complicated than that. Mm. I know, I'm oversimplifying. So, the name GoldenEye is a direct reference to Ian Fleming's estate in Jamaica, which he called GoldenEye. And he got that name from an operation he headed in World War II called Operation GoldenEye, which you are now welcome for the second Wikipedia read. But the TLDR version of that is it was British intelligence's uh, operation to keep Spain out of World War II coming full circle with what I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast. Boom. Man, we're all about uh, closing the narrative gaps tonight. I know, I know, I know. So Operation Goldeneye, actually kind of a fascinating read. Go ahead and, and, and do that. A little bit of sadness on this movie. Uh, yes, this is the uh, Cubby Broccoli died seven months after its release. And uh, yeah, and this is the first movie produced on the credits by Michael Wilson and Barbara Broccoli. So, yep, there we go. So, Goldeneye, Jonathan. This was directed by Martin Campbell, right? Martin Campbell, yes. If he, I remember correctly. Yes, and he'll come back and do Casino Royale in a few years or in a few episodes or whatever. But Yeah, uh, he kind of kicks off three bonds in a row. All yeah. right, so let's, let's, let's talk about Goldeneye. I guess let's start with just the intro. <laughs> This is one of the stronger intros. Yeah, the bungee jump, the crazy bungee jump off the Russian dam. Uh, yeah, so you get the the crazy bungee jump off the Russian dam, uh, the insertion, the capture, the explosions, and then... Uh, I don't know about you, Jonathan, uh, but this whole beginning stuff. of this uh, movie, I was having such sense memory for, like, Goldeneye, the, the N64 game. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that certainly was occurring for me, too, without a doubt. Even though, you know, it's crappy, you know, 1990s polygons, like they did a really good job of like getting what rooms they did show in the movie, like they reproduced them. And so like I, I just really had that sense feeling of like running around the old N64 game. And it was very, it was nice. It was Oddly nice. enough, I'm pretty sure that Eric Sarah used an N64 chip for this, uh, for this <laughs> score because this score was friggin terrible. Yeah. And it starts off at the beginning of the movie and it never gets good. It just gets worse. Until the tank chase when he, they actually pull in the uh, the orchestra, but yeah. yeah, when they when they remember that they have access to a full orchestra, that's the fun part. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this movie kind of kicked off. The Cold War ended in the meantime. Like a lot of stuff happened politically, and uh, once again they were faced with the whole concept of is Bond relevant anymore with his you know misogyny and drinking and sex and. But but this time they they 
they don't shy away from it. They call it up. Yeah, yeah. Which I was fairly impressed by. Uh, this is, of course, the first time we get Dame Judy Dench as uh, as M. She's so good. She's so good. Yeah, she it seems like she just up. took over. Like, I got the sense of that, that she's relatively new. Yes. And Money Petty is, thank God, back to a little bit more of an analyst and, and not just a secretary. And she's spicy. Yeah, yeah. I like spicy Money Penny. That's the way she should be. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So generally what we do is we talk about the bad, we talk about the good. Now we're moving, we've moved actually pretty solidly into the 90s here, so. It's incredible. It's only six years when you really stop and think about it. But the shift, both in tone and topic and just general, like the fact that they stood up and and addressed the misogyny thing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like if we if we look at the 89 movie and the 95 movie, I mean, that is a radical shift in only six years. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And they they went out of their way to get women who can act and not just look pretty because that was a real problem in the previous movies. Well, and Judy Dench friggin chews up every scene she's in. She is like a lawnmower and, you know, she is (laughs) just killing it every time she comes on screen. I love her. Yeah, yeah. Now, there were a couple things in the uh, that I wanted to point out. Number one, there's this weird shadow thing that Martin Gamble does with with Bond, like throughout the entire movie. He's constantly casting these weird shadows and it's awkward. <laughs> That's true. There were a couple other things like. Well, the the Q segment was like straight out of the campy 70s movies. Well, and that's that's kind of like one of my biggest issues with this movie is it lacks its own identity because it keeps trying to be something new. And I think we talked about this in our text messages. Yeah. It, it tries so hard to do something new. It talks about the misogyny. It tries to update the formula. It tries to make it a serious movie. And then every so often, it's like it forgets that it's trying to do all this new stuff and it, it reverts back to the old silliness. And every time it does that, it hurts the film. Is there any place it really happens other than the Q thing? Well, okay, I guess... Uh... there's there's a couple of things like the weird you know like uh innuendo laced dialogue between bond and on yeah yeah zenia on the uh just the name that like just the name yeah like i think the name does it yeah and the fact that she likes to crush men between her thighs and to murder them i mean not that famke jansen doesn't friggin kill it in the role because she does like she's not like the 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 female villains of Bond's past, like she legitimately owns this role and runs with it in all the right ways. And we were talking about how goofy she is because she really seems to get off on violence, which is really works for the character. Yeah. Yeah. And I I remember you're kind of down on it in our text messages. And then I said, well, you know what? Say what you will about it. I remember her. (laughs) She's a memorable character from that, which I, at this point, I barely remember who Octopussy was played by. You know, like there's just so many forgettable women and at least they let the women like just be weird and chew like Jaws, I guess, you know. I did make a note of my favorite uh, line and it's a Judy Dench line. <laughs> if I wanted sarcasm, I would talk to my children. children. <laughs> God, wow. And, and, and out of the mouth of Judy Dench, it's like she's wielding a broadsword and she's just chopped some dude in half. It is an amazing moment. OK, so you remember that movie I talked about last time, the the line in winter? If you like Judy Dench doing what she did in this movie, uh, Audrey Hepburn, is it Audrey Hepburn? Whatever. The, the lady lead in that movie uh, does this like times three or four. Like 
her her dialogue and the way she delivers it is amazing in that movie. If you like it, go watch that movie. No joke. What did you think of this, the effects overall? Because for the most part, like I thought that the model shots were really bad. They looked really modely, and for ninety five, especially when you consider that that you know we're getting into the 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 point in time where computers were really starting to assist, it it, it was rough to look at. I mean, all things considered, it was a relatively cheap movie. I mean, sixty million. I I, I don't know what movie budgets were ninety five. That's ninety. Ninety five was what Titanic was the most expensive at a hundred million, so it was no slouch. Uh, hold on, let's see what came out in nineteen ninety five to compare it to. Batman Forever came out that year. Apollo thirteen, Twelve Monkeys, Congo, Species. Okay, Apollo thirteen is a perfect example. Go look at the special effects of Apollo thirteen. Photorealistic Apollo rockets taking off. 3D tracking shots, and then go look at Goldeneye and tell me who did it better. Oh, God, I mean, and Apollo 13 million. had less money. Wow. Yeah, so so you see what I'm saying there. Like, it, it's it's not, it, they were never considered good special effects. They were just bad model shots. Like, at one point, a MiG-29 crashes and goes into the building, and, like, we've all seen airplanes crash, unfortunately. That's just a fact of life. We've seen it on the news. We know that they kind of crumple up and explode, right? This one slides along on the top of itself upside down for like 300 feet. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And the weird, like, did you notice that when they're dumping the water out of the lake, the the water is actually in reverse because when yeah, it gets down that to was the bottom, weird. it like burbles up in a weird way because it's going in backwards? Yeah, that was kind of strange. A $60 million movie in 1995 would be akin to... No, Apollo 13 had that budget. Seven had... It way less of a budget uh batman forever had 100 million back in the day okay so there you go it, it was way way it should have been better because apollo 13's cg is phenomenal yeah and still holds up even to this day well and they actually went and filmed on the vomit comet too which you know but that didn't help with any of their exterior shots and the exterior shots were what i'm talking about congo was made for 50 million God, I love that movie. It's so bad, but I love that movie so much. And it's on HBO Max, and I will be watching it soon. <laughs> Just a little FYI. Also, coincidentally, Congo, my favorite Ernie Hudson performance of all time. He's so good in that movie. I mean, overall, I, I really like this movie. It's partially nostalgia, I'm sure, on my front, because this is the first Bond movie I saw in the theaters. So. It, it's not a bad f- film, and it's not... It doesn't suffer from a lot of the old Bond movies. And there are some genuinely well-written scenes. Um, like the, the one at the end between 006 and um, 007 is is amazing. It is genuinely good dialogue. When he's asking if all of the, the you know, vodka martinis ever stifle the screams or whatever, yeah. however he puts it. Like yeah. that is, that's intense. That is really good dialogue. And at, in coming out of Sean Bean, it's even more so. Yeah, but that's been a, a common complaint of the last couple of movies that especially, especially License to Kill, that the, the script was garbage. Yeah, and this this is not a, a script problem. It, the movie's conflicted because it's trying to ditch its old self, but it's it it doesn't manage to do it 100%. Like the, the Q scene being one of them, the spa scene being one of them. I think it's because certain things in Bond movies were popular, so they wanted to make sure they threw fans a bone. But yeah, they either need to drop it or not. Like, I, I think they're trying to have the best of both worlds. But but when it works, it's really, really good. Like when they reveal Alec to be uh, or 006 to be 
to be Alec, that that is a fantastic scene when they're going around the broken remains of the Cold War statues. That is beautiful. Yeah. In, in fact, I think I text, texted you a couple times while watching this. There are several times where that movie is just beautifully shot and the camera work is second to none. Oh, I, no, I mean, I completely agree with you. I I mean, I don't think I would call it the best Bond movie. I At, at this point in the no, franchise, but I, the, I would... But the tank scene might be the best Bond chase. Yeah, well, and it's nice that he's proactive because most of the time it's Bond getting chased by people, you know? Yeah, no, this is Bond on the hunt. And, and, and from start to finish, this is Bond on the hunt. How about this? It addresses a lot of my complaints about previous movie about the previous movies bond is fairly proactive in these he's he's on his way doing something he's trying to figure stuff out mainly because he's got something to prove because m you know is is doesn't really believe in the double o program but whatever i i don't care it's what i wanted um the script in, in general is a lot better i i mean it's essentially it's a giant heist movie you know we, we don't have any goofy like i'm trying to take over the world nonsense it's just you know no it's just a heist it's 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 a complicated over-the-top heist but is oddly enough it, it harkens back to goldfinger and while you're you are correct that it's it kind of goes back and forth between old bond and new bond it's not it never feels unsure of itself because when it's not in old bond mode it's trying it's it's always trying to do something and it's either like giving like fan service to the older bond fans or you know trying to reinvent itself a little bit and i think that's a problem going forward in the pierce movies that we'll see because they they kind of start sliding back again like always to the the old tropes and then we get to die another day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can't wait. It's that movie's so bad. It's, it, it, it is a hot mess. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah. I think I would put this pretty solidly. Number three. I think I liked, um, the first movie jaws was in the spy loved me better. And I definitely liked the living daylights the best out of all of them. I would put the living daylights a view to a kill. Even to some extent, I would think I would put, uh, um, I, I would put live and let die over this. Or at least equal to this. I think this movie works on a lot of levels. It's beautifully shot. It has some fantastic chase and action scenes in it. And some some decent special effects at times. But it does fall apart sometimes. And there are some parts that are downright silly. Like the helicopter ejection seat. That's just stupid. That's not the way that works. <laughs> it's the dumbest friggin' thing I've ever seen. And but, you know, when it works, it is phenomenal. And I will say this. I think that while Living Daylights, I think, is the best Bond film to date, I think this is the best written in terms of dialogue. This has some genuinely sharp dialogue in it. The exchange between Trevelyan and Bond, um, both when uh, Trevelyan is revealed and at the end when they're they're fighting each other. Our, our particular standouts, the discussion that Judy Dench has about misogyny and how she feels about the double O program. There, there's a line near the end where Bond is about to kill Trevelyan and Trevelyan just gets one last jab in about, you know, what, uh, uh, for the queen. And he says, no, for me, because it's it's payback Bond. And this has this has the best chase scene in any Bond movie to date. And that is the the tank chase. That is a phenomenal chase scene. So I think were it not for its inability to ditch some of the old tropes completely, this 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 is a very good reimagining. It just needs to kind of let go of those last few chains, which is something I don't think they're going to do until Casino Royale. Uh, you know, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see because I it's been a long time since I've watched the last two movies or the next two movies. Excuse me. 
Yeah. But we're not going to watch the next movie right away. No. No. Because we're taking a little detour. We're taking a bit of a detour. In episode 96. Into <laughs> it's finally time. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. <laughs> yeah, baby. I think at this point, we, we, we've got the history needed with the franchise to fully understand and embrace this film. And, uh, you know, watch along with us. You know, tell us what you think of these movies. This is kind of why we're doing it. It's a book club, damn it. Yeah, in a way, in a way. Austin Powers, I think, is actually very poignant on the spy genre because it, the first one, not the subsequent ones, is if if you've watched your Danger Man and your Prisoner and your Bond and just your spy movies in general. It's pretty biting. Yeah, it in, is. In its rebuke of, of, of those staples. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Crossing my fingers, I, I think Casino Royale is the one where they kind of start taking stock and start trying to avoid the things that that you know Austin Powers points out are really stupid. Because in the next few Bond movies, we still have goofy names. I forget if there's one in Tomorrow Never Dies, but I know in uh, The World Is Not Enough, we've got Christmas Jones, and you know in uh, Die Another Day, we've you know there's a, there's a few goofy names coming up that are entendre names and are just you know. Yeah, they should just go away. But <laughs> I have reasonably good memories of Tomorrow Never Dies. I'm hoping it's good. Yeah, I remember it was my favorite for a long time, and then I watched it again, and I was disappointed. So we'll see. But that, but that's not what we're doing. We're going to watch Austin Powers, and you know, Doctor Evil, and uh, you know, a lot of vagina. <laughs> you know, looking back on it, maybe we should have watched one of the uh, R. Man Flint movies with Dean oh. Martin. Yeah. They could come too far now. <laughs> Playing a secret agent. Yeah. Yeah. A groovy special agent. Because they, they're definitely riffing on that with Austin Powers as well. Oh, well. Missed opportunities. But not not for Austin Powers. We'll be back for Austin Powers next time. And then we'll we'll have another, like, come full circle because uh, Tomorrow Never Dies came out in 97. And then we'll do Tomorrow Never Dies in episode 97. That really works. Well, we didn't even plan this. This is well, great. Well, it's because Austin Powers. Austin Powers came out in May of 97, and Tomorrow Never Dies came out at the end of the year in 97. So, Yeah, but no, but what I'm saying is this works two episodes in a row for the Bond movies. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. See? See? We didn't even plan it. High five. High five. Join us soon when we hit Austin Powers in our next episode, and then return back to Bond with a fresh view of all the things that we need to make fun of. But before then... We need to turn our Wayback Machine to look at a year ago. Robert, what did we do a year ago? Forgot My Dice, episode 71, way off topic. Poignant in this point in Really? Our that show. never happens to us. Uh, we reviewed Strongholds and Followers, the D&D book, which I have certainly well, used good. again because I, uh, I ran a campaign using it in my Spain-ish setting, which was fun. <laughs> Your Spain-ish? It's, Sp- it's fantasy Spain. It's sort of Spain. Pseudo-Spain. <laughs> Almost like you were saying it in Spanish. Just kind of Spanish. Spain-ish, yeah. <laughs> also, in that episode, we talked about Dr. Sleep, which I don't know if we... God, I haven't seen it yet still. Oh, I my God. To. It was good. Apparently, we were on Dune Watch back then because that, that came up. Um, I've been in Dune Watch mode for, like, what, ever at yeah. this point? yeah. I was excited about the Steven Universe movie. You had just shown Carlos all of the Terminator movies, including Terminator Salvation. I feel sorry for him. And I was playing World of Warcraft Classic at the time. And now we are. Uh, now he's watched the Predator movies too. So, 
So Strongholds and Followers, good book. I still highly recommend it. It's companion volume. Uh, Kingdoms and Warfare is chugging along. I back that on Kickstarter. I'm still waiting for it. But yeah, there you go. Place out, Johnny. Well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment. And next, we have a very, very special segment after the break. We're going to have an interview with Brandon Lax, one of the librarians at the Hillsborough Brookwood Public Library, or as Robert likes to call it, Valhalla. I just call it my library, and I hug it. I hugged it when it came back. You're very lucky. <laughs> so we will be talking to Brandon all about what it is like to be a librarian in 2020 and all the wonderful, eccentric, way beyond normal things that they have at this library. So join us after a quick break. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. Today we are actually being joined by a very special guest, Brendan Lax from the Hillsborough Brookwood Public Library, part of the Washington County Cooperative Library Services. That's a mouthful. Did I screw it up? It was pretty close. Pretty so, close. Good. You got the Washington County part, right? And uh, we're just the Hillsborough Public Library. It's kind of like our Brookwood branch. So yeah, you're pretty, pretty much well, there. Very cool. Brendan, welcome to the show. We are actually have you on because we talk about you and your library all the time. That's great to hear. And uh, like I said, I look forward to <laughs> digging into some of those episodes and hearing what you talk about. But um, yeah, we have an awesome board game collection in our library and our cooperative libraries um, also have amazing collections as well. So I'm happy to talk about them. Awesome. So how does that work with like a cooperative library service? Is it because we don't out here in Texas, at least, and certainly not in the part of California that I grew up in. We didn't have anything quite like that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a unique setup. You mostly think of like either just a one off library for a city or something like that, or a library system where they're all part of the same library. They're just multiple branches, like Multnomah County in Portland um, is a county library system, but it's 23 branches. They're all part of the same library. Um, but uh, the cooperative works in that we're a bunch of different cities and kind of areas that have their own libraries that they fund, like the cities fund them themselves um, partially, and then the, the county funds them as well. Um, and then we share resources. So we have a courier service that runs materials between libraries. We share all our digital resources together through one catalog. So in, for just everyday people, they might not be able to tell the difference between it. But um, yeah, we're specifically Hillsborough Library just has the two branches and a, a book of mat, which is kind of like a, a red box for books and games and, and DVDs and stuff. So Most of the James Bond movies that, uh, if, you, if you haven't listened, we've been reviewing the James Bond movies because why not? That's in order. In order. <laughs> With modern eyes, which is, is always <laughs> somewhat awakening. Yes, I'm sure there's some problematic elements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every so, every one. <laughs> but yeah yeah like when i when i get them from the library like sometimes it's like beaverton library forest hills library like they, they come in from all over the place so mm-hmm. now i did want to dive in a little bit to your library um before we got started on just the board game component of it because i have a very specific image of the library that i grew up with it was a big building there were many many books and magazines and newspapers and that was about the extent of it the newspapers were all on the little wooden uh you know wooden handles if you remember those <laughs> and um the you know the the books they the the fanciest the way that my library got was that they had a light pen that would read the upc symbol on the book and that was how we checked it out 
your library is not that image anymore. In fact, yours is more of like a multimedia library. So how how is like being a librarian evolving? Because you're you're dealing with a lot more than I ever thought a library would deal with. I mean, there's still a lot of those traditional elements still around, obviously. Um, and there's tons of books and we still have the the spindles that newspapers hang on. Um, so that hasn't gone away. And there's still people who tend to those kind of collections and do that kind of work. Um, but then, yeah, there, there's there's kind of new areas that are being explored. I think the big shift in libraries has been to it becoming more of a, a space, a, like a community space um, where things can happen, um, not just you go grab something and go. Um, so, I mean, obviously during a pandemic that becomes hard for us as the, this is the new type of library and it's hard to bring people into the library. Um, and pretty much right now we're just doing kind of that traditional model of just checking materials out that people place on hold. There's been movement to like have maker spaces in libraries, recording studios, all sorts of different things like that. What I do, I, I'm a collection development librarian. Um, so my 10 years at Hillsboro has been spent um, mostly selecting for the collections, weeding the collections when things need to be removed. And I just slowly started introducing different elements to that, what we can check out kind of thing. Um, and so from, so I kind of developed my own kind of niche work in libraries that wasn't really five years ago when we started doing this kind of stuff. There wasn't a lot of it going on. Libraries had non-traditional collections, like they might have potty kits or they might check out puppets or something like that. But we made a concerted effort maybe about five years ago to kind of try out a whole lot of new things. And we had a new director who just was willing to try pretty much anything and, and threw me at it. So I wouldn't say a, a lot of librarianship today mirrors what I do, but um, it's slowly getting there. Um, but a lot more of it, it has to do with like just finding ways to bring people into the space and make use of it as a community space. Yeah, right before we shut down for the uh, the pandemic, I was uh, I was going to start using your your three D printers there because uh, I'm a big Dragon Quest fan, and somebody had made a whole bunch of Dragon Quest builders uh, like little miniatures, and I I also paint stuff, so I was like, oh, I want to get some of those. I had like made an account and I was ready to go down and then everything closed and I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. They're just sitting there now. <laughs> no one's using them. But yeah, you've got a, you've got a large room in the library that has, it's, it's the maker's lab and it's got 3d printers. If I remember correctly, 3d printers, snowing machines and other stuff. <laughs> I don't remember, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, there's always just people in there just working on stuff. And you've also got a, a, a room where people who have clubs like that can meet and bring their uh, equipment in to kind of like create together. Yeah. So that's the idea is, is kind of bringing people in to learn and create together. Whereas, you know, something like the Library of Things um, is great for people to try out things, take things home, learn a new skill or hobby or whatever like that. But um, I kind of think of the flip side that's missing from that experience is having like someone show you or teach you how to do it. All we can like kind of throw in our, you know, books or DVDs or whatever, just like, or like guide you to some things where you might learn. You can go on YouTube and watch a video or something. But um, yeah, that kind of community learning aspect is where the makerspace kind of fills in the gaps for letting people come in and do a fiber and fabrics meetup is one of our more popular events every week. People just, tons of people show up with their sewing machines and like, and knitting and sewing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the makerspace is definitely the flip side to the coin of the library of things is the way I think of it. And the library of things is uh, eclectic. Uh, I, I've told you this, Jonathan, but I've rented I rented a cornhole kit for uh, my daughter's birthday. They, you guys had a egg, Dude, you, an automatic. You, you were egg all about boiler. that bread maker for a long, long. Yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> and then I started making sourdough at home, like everybody does. Um, yeah, who would have thought that that was a thing that happened in twenty twenty? <laughs> sourdough all the rage. <laughs> But they have musical instruments. They have, I, I went through the whole catalog once. There's a green screen uh, kit that you could rent to just try out your oh, luck at green screening. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about doing that, too. But, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And then, of course, obviously, and it's why Brendan is here, there is the large board game collection. So, Brendan, 
you did the, you did a podcast on this once, but I, I I just love hearing this number. How many board games do you have in the library collection right now, give or take? At just the two Hillsborough libraries, we have about four hundred and seventy games. Wow! But I was just running the numbers today, and so countywide, we have fourteen hundred games in circulation. Wow. Um, so a good nine hundred of those are. Um, well, maybe 800, 900 or belong to the Cedar Mill Library. They've gone full bore for getting as many games as possible. But um, 90, 950 unique titles is what I came up with. So so multiple copies of a lot of those Guess games. You guys are starting to rival like the Board Game Geek collection when you go to, to uh, GeekCon. Yeah. I, I, when I, we first started our collection, I tried to like just kind of put up our collection on Board Game Geek, and I eventually gave up because that was <laughs> too hard to kind of keep track of what, what we had to kind of share with people. But um I, I would say we probably are the largest publicly circulating game collection anywhere in the world. I mean, there, there's universities where they have game design, where they, they collect a lot of games for people to use for research and reference, but um, those aren't publicly circulating. So, like, yeah, and a lot of game stores will check out games and things like that, but um, but they usually get to pay for <laughs> rentals. Rentals, I kind of, I would assume they are. Um, but yeah, public libraries doing this, it's kind of been a new thing over the last handful of years. Um, a lot more libraries are doing it now, though, since we started doing it. So, How has the community kind of reacted to the expansion of kind of the definition of what library means? I, we, we started all this kind of stuff um, very conservatively, thinking that, you know, we might get some pushback. We wanted to make sure we were using just money that we got donated from the Friends of the Library to start the collection and all that kind of stuff, just because we were worried how people would react. But um, I have not not had very many negative reactions, if at all, like, I, that I can remember um, since we started five years ago. It, the, the best thing about it is I think it creates library advocates, which we really need to kind of promote, like, this is what a library can do and go out and talk to people and, and tell people, you know, like Robert does with you, <laughs> telling you what your, his library is doing um, and remind people that, uh, you know, libraries play an important role in our society. Oh, yeah. I'm about to go stand outside my library with a bell ringing it and saying, shame, shame. <laughs> like, your library is ridiculous. Well, I, I wouldn't go that hard at him, but... Uh, <laughs> But it, it's good. It's good to be asking them what you want to see, you know, or telling them what you want to see. And Jonathan, don't knock your library. They got in trouble for the the drag queen story hour, so they're 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 doing their work. Oh no! <laughs> well, that was the one. That was the one up in Leander, not 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 Cedar Park. But oh, I'm sorry, Cedar Park. Uh, they they were they were pushing in that direction until. Well, that's a whole other thing. We have some very um, interesting political. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Friction right now in my area. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh yeah, and yeah, and then you, you get all you know, and in, even in Hillsborough, we weren't really too sure kind of how people would be uh, spending, you know, city money or county money on this kind of stuff. But yeah, they're they're at this point now. Um, within a year or two, we're we're taking money out of the regular budget for games and things, um, and they're yeah, people are just excited about it. People want to donate to it. People want to uh, make suggestions. Um, I just wrote an article for the Oregon Library Association quarterly. Well, I didn't write. I wrote it last year, but it finally came out um, last week. And um, yeah, I, I really go into like what kind of what how these kind of collections build community and like and the interesting things about library things and board games and stuff is people will like want to talk to you about it and and make suggestions and like it's more like a dialogue with your community as you proceed to collect and and change it over time. So um, it, it's it's all been good. That's great. Uh, have you gotten any interest from the the greater industry uh, regarding the the way you guys are pushing board games as a as a whole? Early on, we reached out to board game companies and stuff to kind of see if they're interested in donating. Or if it, I don't think many latched onto the idea. Um, it's kind of the same thing with you know just with books 
in that like you know bookstores don't really have always kind of <laughs> had some animosity towards libraries because they think it, it doesn't it's not good for their sales and stuff like that so um but in actuality people who check out books from the library tend to be the people who buy the most books and so i've kind of gone into the board game situation with that mindset but i think it's kind of hard to just in a quick discussion convince someone who owns a board game store or something that they should get involved in hillsborough or aloha but nearby um Rainy Day Games was very supportive of us with any kind of board gaming thing we were doing at the library. They'd they'd provide you know prize games and stuff like that, or gift cards and stuff so, for uh, different events that we ran. And um, we never really needed them to donate for those collections to work. And I didn't feel like so. I'd I'd, ra- I'd rather just like a lot of us went to local game stores and bought games for the collection rather than trying to get them to to kind of help us out. Um, it was kind of the other way around. Um, I wanted to make sure they knew that this wasn't a competition for their business. Um, and I think, yeah, people who play board games that they check out at the library um, are going to end up buying board games. Um, they're going to realize the ones they actually like <laughs> and realize and, and, and not have a lot of that regret maybe of buying ones that they didn't end up liking, but uh, just better informed board game consumers, I guess. And so, like, do you have a process for, for what you pick to, to add to the collection? Is it based on popularity, fame? Is it based on personal preference or is it just trying to grab a a smattering of stuff from across the the industry because certainly board games have changed pretty dramatically in the last decade in terms of the subject matter that they're willing to cover, including what could be considered more controversial adult topics now. I would say like all the the reasons or ways you would go about selecting, um, we kind of do it all. Um, So we started out, it was pretty much just like looking at like kind of what was hot on board game geek or, um, just the most popular ones. I, I did, you know, I, pretty much every game they had on or tabletop that show. Uh, <laughs> I, I just chose all those, like just to make it easy on myself. I, I knew those would probably be the most popular um, uh, to start with. And if we wanted to get into the, like how this all started, there was another smaller library part of our cooperative, very very small. Um, he just got a few games to start checking out um, the librarian there, and uh, it went fine. But they they do their numbers are so much lower than ours that it, it was kind of like we we. Before we did any of the other things, cake pans, any of that stuff, we had we had Arduino kits that we checked out, and those went out and came back fine with all the little parts and pieces. So I thought it would probably be okay, um, but he he did we, he took us out, me and another librarian out to a bar and <laughs> had to convince us that this would be something worthwhile to try. Um, yeah, so we pretty much just mimicked his initial collection and, and added in a few other things here at the Hillsborough Library. Um, but over time, like, yeah, it's been a lot of suggestions. We get a lot of donations. The people who have board games lying around the home, and if it's in good condition, we take it in. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just go on Amazon, see what's popular. You can go on Board Game Geek. Um, and I, myself, I have a lot of things that I'm interested in. Like, I, I, before we started, I was telling you, I, I really enjoy games with miniatures. and But those are expensive games, and we hadn't really branched out into those kind of things. And you, I could just see those miniatures disappearing over time. <laughs> so I started out with just a few of those kind of games. I think they were like the Dungeons and Dragons board game, um, like Castle Ravenloft and stuff like that. And five years later to this day, they're still circulating. They, they, it's probably go, those games have gone out well over 150 times now. It was never really, it turned out to not be a worry. And I, so I, I've, I've tried a lot of kind of risky game things in, in the collection just to kind of experiment. And all of them kind of turn out well, like the Hogwarts, the cooperative, the Hogwarts Battle for Hogwarts. Do you, are you guys familiar with that? Yeah, game? the one from USAopoly. Yeah, and then that's one one of our most popular games with the longest hold list at the library. But um, I, I initially got that, and just thinking that like there was all these different like packs that you had to open up when you reached a certain level, and like just when parts aren't put back in the right spot um, or or something like that, I was, I was concerned. But um, 
they come and go and we don't ask patrons like we don't count parts and pieces when they come back but we do try to ask patrons like how how the checkout go is everything there or like did everything go okay just to get some feedback from them and yeah if so if, if i don't end up like if a patron doesn't tell us that something's missing then we just assume it's fine and it keeps going out and coming back um so yeah it it, it ended up being a lot less worrisome than i initially thought but uh nice A lot of it is instinct on what games would be popular, and some of them are just like the Cedar Mill Library, who has those thousand games. They'll just buy pretty much anything, and then I could see which ones immediately build holds lists, and I'll just buy copies of those. So a little mimicking of what they get, too. Do you have any favorites? Of games in our collection? um, One of my early, early favorites was Betrayal at House on the Hill. (laughs) That's a great one. So and it, it, it's become controversial in my life because over the years I've tried to get people to play it with me, and people play it, but like that game can either go one way or the other. Like oh, yeah. It can be a really rewarding experience or it can be like completely bonkers or not fun. Like it's so uh, I've had a few groups of friends where we had just like the oddest twist and it didn't work out very well. And it was just kind of like, this is what we played <laughs> all this time <laughs> for. So, so at this point now I do have a hard time getting people I know to play material at house on the hill, but I love that game. I love that for the cooperative element and the, and the twist halfway through. Um, I really like blood rage which is oh. actually one of the games I have behind me. Um, and that was one of the games I painted. But, uh, You're after my own heart now. That, that, that's the game I almost always take with me to the bar. Like with, We have a group of friends that like, will bring different games, but like, I, I bring that one just in case, and we usually bring it out at some point because to this day, like, no matter how many plays we've done, it's still fun. And then, um, and then another personal favorite is Imperial Assault, which was the first miniature game that I did get for the library. I don't know. I just, it's a lot of nostalgia. I feel like it really captured the star Wars theme very well. Um, and yeah, once I started painting them up and like, you know, creating scenery and with those 3d printers, I created all the little crates and stuff. Um, so I created some of the pieces for the game. It, it became a lot, a lot of fun. And so whenever I have the time with friends, not in the recent months, but, uh, if I had a couple hours that we were committed to playing a game, that, that'd be the one I tried to convince them to play. So and and what are the popular ones in the collection? Like who's who's going out the door every time, and it's hard to keep it in stock. So I was, I was looking at this earlier today. Um, just based off of holds, right now in the system, the top ones are Wingspan by far. I, I've gotten some feedback on that game. Some people are really overwhelmed by the rules, but that one, the most people are waiting for. So Wingspan has the longest hold list, followed by Settlers of Catan, still to this day. Wow. Uh, and t- and Ticket to Ride. So those two are still. That's amazing. The original European style board game yeah. that like people are drawn to. I, I I think Will Wheaton called them like the infection vector for the games, like the games that get people to want to play other games. <laughs> so yeah, they're still popular. Um, and then like like I said, the Harry Potter Hogwarts battle, and and then the other three rounding out the list was Azul, Spirit Island, and Root. So those are the a Spirit Island is no joke. That's a that's a deep game. There's a lot going on in there. Yeah, and I think that was one of the ones I originally nabbed before any of the other libraries. But then, yeah, the holds list grew pretty fast, so other libraries in our county now have copies. And I don't know much about the game beyond. Because <laughs> I, I catalog, so after I buy the game, I bring them in and catalog them. And if you don't know much about library cataloging, we it's worldwide, but mostly in the U.S. and Canada, we have a shared kind of cataloging system of all libraries, academic and public, that you can go and grab a, a record for. So our county has pretty much created all the records for games um in there and so yeah so like i when i get a game and i have to open it up see all the parts and pieces catalog it and then we get it into our system um and and process it so but, um, totally geeking question here um because i know like books and stuff everything gets an entry in the library of congress are board games now getting an entry in the library of congress 
I would imagine that most games, because they're also cataloged by and brought in by academic libraries, would be in the Library of Congress. Um, but I, I actually can't say that for sure. I, I could look it up pretty easily, but I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. What what surprised you about how your patrons are using your your giant library of things? And actually, I guess because we haven't really discussed it yet in the interview, could you give us the the elevator spiel? What is the library of things, and how do people use it? So the library of things. I mean, on face value, the phrase "library of things" doesn't is meaningless. Like everything's a thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think people when they hear it, they they get the concept. So which is why I decided to stick with it. Um, we borrowed it from a group in the UK that was starting a, a nonprofit type like thing collection right about the same time we were. The concept is just like it's it's like we I gave it the tagline early with the, like some of the silly videos I created about the collection. Um, like the you check out an experience, but it's experiential learning. Um, kind of le- promoting lifelong learning um, so people can take something home and learn a new skill or um, learn a new hobby. Over time, like it, a lot of people thought it would like, you know, these items would take the place of having to own something. And in some cases, that's true. Like you don't need to own all the cake pans because um, we have over 100 and you can you can probably find one when you need it from our library. So some things like that work really well to, to replace ownership. Over time, like I've kind of shifted my thinking to being like, yeah, like I said earlier, like more informed consumers, people can try something before they buy it. A lot of people are going to like, you know, if they buy, you know, a, a canning kit and realize halfway through their first project, they don't want to can ever again. It's just going to be something that takes up space in their house. And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to head that off a little bit. And then, um, cause there is a, a little bit of disappointment when people find out that they do have to wait sometimes a long time for a thing. If you just want one of those little, you know, special kind of drum or musical instrument. I was trying to think of the name kalimba um, with the little things that you, you pluck with your thumbs just to try out. Um, yeah, you might have to wait a few weeks um, before you see it. And so it's not going to be like something you're going to use and learn outside of your week that you get to check it out. And it's just, it's just checking out an experience. If it's something you enjoy, yeah, you can put your name on the hold list again, but it, you might also decide you want to own that little instrument. So um, I, I, yeah, I think what surprised me most is just that, People have been really happy to share what they have been doing with the things over the years and uh, and give it like all the feedback. But we had a whiteboard up in the library for the longest time, just like, what do you want to see? And just like people sharing yeah, their experiences, saying what they really enjoyed, what they didn't like. Like, you know, this takes a nine volt battery and that costs like six bucks. Like, and so like you get a little, some of those grievances uh, aired out on the whiteboard. But uh, yeah, I, I think overall, like people shared pictures of their kids, like you know, how, using the chocolate fountain or baking cakes, or <laughs> you know, using the the makey makey, the little uh, microcontroller kit to make a bongo drums out of bananas. Like it's it's a lot of just. I, I really was surprised by how into it everyone was, and how much they wanted to share about their experiences. So that was pretty cool. So was there anything in your library of things that you were like, "There's no way this is going out the door regularly," and the public just surprised the living daylights out of you, and it's it's always gone. Thankfully, this is a distant memory, but um, initially we started off, like I said, with the friends of the library gave us funding for it, um, and they thought it would be cool to have like a commercial popcorn popper and a commercial <laughs> cotton candy maker so that they, like when they have their book sales, they could like fire those things up, like they could borrow them for those sales. Um, we have big, giant book sales, like it's one of the biggest used book sales in Oregon at our library, and so they, they just thought it would be cool, and then like when they're not using it, they could check it out. Um, and so me being the sole like person who runs the collection, like I learned very quickly the, the pitfalls of 
most of the cotton candy made. The popcorn popper is still going strong. It just requires like a degreasing every once in a while. Oh, I remember like, that stuff well. Stuff gets in the cracks in and like theater as a kid. So much yeah. salt corrodes the little parts underneath and stuff. It, it's problematic. But like no, the sugar with the cotton candy maker was insane. That eventually like it, it just broke down and wouldn't run. And like I was trying to fix it, and it just like com- like I just got this arcing flash and it like just burned <laughs> up like, a, a good portion of the inside. And I was just happy to say that like. Yeah, this, we're not doing this anymore. But um, that that cotton candy maker, like within a few months of it being part of the collection, had a hundred people waiting. Which, wow. you know, with one cotton candy maker, you'd have that, that'd be years of waiting for people. So it practically didn't make sense to even have that for like just it's going to cause so much disappointment. Like people want that cotton candy maker for their kid's birthday party or something. They don't want it for uh, <laughs> for like you know just two years down the road it randomly shows up on the hold show for them. <laughs> um, we eventually made those really high pop. So like yeah, so the popcorn popper, the cotton candy maker, and a shaved ice machine. Surprisingly, like you can do like kind of like the Hawaiian style shaved ice. Those had huge wait lists, and so we made them non holdable so that you would just if it comes in, you show up and grab it. In in the end, it ends up circulating twice as much when you do that because most people, when something comes in for them and they're like, oh, I placed a hold on the cotton candy maker two years ago, like, <laughs> I don't want it. Like, and so, they, so they just let it sit on the hold shelf. It waits a week and then goes to the next person. They wait a week. Um, whereas if you just like have it out there and you can grab it and go, um, it goes within 24 hours every time. So, yeah, th- th- that was kind of surprising. And, yeah, I'm glad the cotton candy maker is gone. But um, <laughs> but then But then there's like... There's things like the VHS to DVD converters currently have the most holds of any item in our collection. Still, yeah. Wow. Um, and it, the problem is, like, they, they, I've had them, these. They're running week in and week out every every time someone checks them out, converting tapes, and they just they break down. Um, but you can't buy V you know VCRs anymore. They don't make them. And if you try to go onto Amazon or eBay or whatever, you're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So we can't replace them. So they're, they're just they're going out less frequently or I'm, I'm, I'm just working really hard to clean out parts and like, and get them working again to keep them running. Um, but those still have the most holds. And it's, I think it's just cause yeah, the, the, it's, it's a dying medium like, and, and people want to take care of their tapes before it's too late. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, and then, I, and then, I checked one of those out and uh, did my wedding video on it and it worked. Yeah, it worked. True story. Oh, <laughs> I always, I always worried that like, it's just going to eat a tape and someone's going to just hate, hate <laughs> it. <laughs> But we, I, I haven't experienced that problem yet. Um, and then the, the ones that are kind of surprising that are more kitchen items are the air fryer and the mochi maker. Both have long wait lists. Man, my wife got an air fryer, and I can't believe it. Like you would have thought that that was now the center of the universe. It's like a black hole to her attention. Like everything gets air fried now. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's good. It's good. That, and again, that's why we got one. I think we checked one out, and and we liked it. Oh, no, no, not that. Sorry. It was something else. But yeah. <laughs> Maybe the Instant Pot. Because the Instant Pots, a lot of people tried out because like, they just they couldn't decide whether to commit $100 to something that everyone had and like were raving about. But like, I think just the idea that you could try it first, was those were really cool um, little things to check out. Um, but the Mochi Maker, for some reason, I just got it on a whim. I got a really nice one right from Japan <laughs> and had it sent over. I was like, you yeah, know, a few people will check this out. It'll be kind of funny. Maybe I can make a silly video about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I think it has, we have two now. Um, I had to get another one and it, 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 it waiting for him. So, oh, yeah. I do like some mochi. It's, it's awesome. I tried it out. I didn't make a, I haven't completed the video yet, but I have the, the recordings done. So when things get back to normal, maybe I'll finish those off. So that's actually interesting. Um, we are in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which has no end, uh, in sight. So like, to me, that would make the library a more important place. But then you have the the problem of getting together and exchanging things. So, how do you approach that? Like that's a that's a unique problem because you guys are inherently 
a public space with with dealing with the public in a big way. So like what what has the pandemic done to being, uh, you know, working for a library? Well, it was kind of a weird experience for me personally, because right at the end of February, my son was born, <laughs> my third. Congratulations. So we had a baby. And so I, I was on paternity leave when the closures initially happened and where things were just kind of going crazy. Um, so I, I can't really say what the initial experience was like leading up to the when we decided to close and then like it being several months till we decided to to allow staff back in and then slowly started to do the, the outdoor curbside pickup of holes. So maybe it wasn't smart, but I went to the library and the last day you guys were open because I was like, I need to get something. And it was, it was a madhouse in there. I'm like, I should be like wearing a hazmat suit. It was nuts. And it was like, it was like, uh, <laughs> it was like Christmas. Cause I went in really late. Um, like right before you close, cause I was hemming and hawing all day. And then finally I'm like, I should just get some stuff just to have it just, just to have something to do. And, um, it, it, it was like a bomb went off in there. Like your shelves were empty. <laughs> it, no, we, yeah. We took photos at the end of the day and like, it was just like, yeah, things were like littered on the ground and like there was a couple things on the shelves, but like everything that was bestsellers or new were completely gone. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't think it was a bad idea. I'm <laughs> glad that people totally stocked up and had tons of stuff to get them through those first few months. Yeah, so so we we did the closure and then we slowly gotten staff back into the building. We the, the Hillsborough Library has been great and the city of Hillsborough has been great, like making sure we're doing these things safely. But um, management is interested in getting the library buildings back open next month, so we're going to be taking another step. Where with a lot of precautions, we're going to start letting people back in to come get their holds themselves and checkouts and browse. So it, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. We're, we don't have any dates set, but they're they're interested in doing it and they've been researching how that will work. Um, but yeah, uh, with materials that are returned right now, like we let them sit for five days um, in quarantine, so we don't touch anything. And once they're done quarantining, they're pretty much good to handle and, and check in and get to the next person waiting or shelve or whatever. And so, yeah, with board games and with me not being around the building very often, like we were, we waited on those to get them back in the circulation. But like once we realized we can let them quarantine with anything else, and just, and then put them back out, and I had the time to kind of work with them, that was fine. Um, library thing's still not up and running though, just because all my time is devoted to our social media and video stuff, plus trying to keep my other collections running that I can't fix VHS to DVD converters and spend my time like working on labels and stuff like that. It's, it's just a little more than I can handle right now, and we're just all strapped for time because we're trying to make these special services work. At some point in the future, we'll, we'll definitely do it. So there's there's no like super concern about like exposure or anything with any of the collection stuff because yeah i mean we're, we're kind of going by guidances for how long to not touch things and it's it seems to be going okay awesome uh, from my end uh I, I check things out on the website and then you know I, I just have my library day where i go and i go and i drop off the old stuff in the, in the bins and then i go and they usually have like a table outside or because it was raining today it was like on the side entrance but yeah you just hand them your library card they get it they bring it out to you and you leave and you know they have markers down and everything it's 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 surprisingly quick, and I always have the best luck because like I get in line, I'm like, oh man, there's like a few people ahead of me, and then like by the time I'm at the front of the line, it's like going you know fifteen twenty people back, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really bad this week because we were closed for ten days because of the, the wildfires and the smoke that was in the air and the air quality, um, and people were just like we had it was like over an hour wait, and we had over fifty people in line at a time. Wow. Like, it, was, it was crazy. Like earlier this week um, when we started up Monday. Um, I'm back in the building again tomorrow, and so hopefully it's a little more tame. But yeah, people people love their libraries, which is always a surprising thing for people who don't use their library very often. But like, there are, is a lot of people who still find a lot of use from them. So, so total total nerd question here: uh, Is microfiche still a thing? 
And if I'm sitting at a microfiche machine saying enhance, enhance, am I going to get looked at funny? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, you might get a few chuckles, though. It's that's Yeah, I, w- I would laugh at that, but um, <laughs> no, yeah, microfiche is still around. It turns out, I learned this in library school, but like... Uh, yeah, the the way microfiche is made, like it's it's made to be kind of the longest lasting material of almost anything that we it's like have in libraries. Almost, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. So the fact that it'll never go away, it, it doesn't deteriorate in quality. The machines go bad <laughs> over time, so we struggle with making the sh- machines keep running and all that. But um, yeah, we still have reels and reels of old newspapers and death indexes and all that kind of stuff. So, oh, it's so I'm a history buff, so for me that's like you telling me that there's like a, a, a free stash of, you know, like history porn somewhere like, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, it, it, it does run this. the risk that it will go like some, a lot of that will eventually go become digitized and, and they'll probably dump the, the microfilm. I, I can't say that for sure, but like we currently still have our collection of microfilm and we keep it. So that's so cool. I, I, I don't know. I, I always worry about this digital stuff because there's already so much stuff that like, if I watch an older movie with my kids, I have to sit there and explain things like pay phones <laughs> and, phone books we watched bill and ted's uh, uh excellent adventure thinking, yeah. and they had no idea what a phone booth was they had no idea that you could use quarters to make phone calls they you know have completely existed in a world of smartphones my children aren't yeah. even old enough to well one of them is barely old enough to outlast the smartphone and you know like just barely yeah i'm sure they'll have some teen years where they kind of it's cool or trendy to kind of know about that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> but maybe i don't know Man, I had to uh, introduce them to the 8-track because somebody put an 8-track in a car in a movie and they're like, what is that giant thing? And I was like, oh, honey, that, that was what was in my 76 Mustang 2. <laughs> Let me tell you about the 8-track and the way we just jam out to that. Actually, my 8-track machine in my car was broken and it only played one thing all the time. <laughs> yeah. As a librarian, what is like? what do you want the world to know about you and your profession that, that you you never get a chance to talk to? talk about like you know what's 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 the one thing that you wish the public understood about the modern library and and kind of like what you guys do and what you're you're hoping to accomplish i wish i'd summed up my my, all my thoughts about libraries in one brief statement let me see um i mean like it's a lot of things that we've touched on already but um the library of today i feel like it's kind of a space where people can gather and interact with each other as much as with materials. And I think it, it's, it becomes a little more concerning um, the more things get digitized um, and like the way, you know, the ebook lending model works with libraries, for instance, um, we have to buy licenses and we don't actually own those. And so like the kind of the idea of the original library, like being the holding place of information that um, we, what the library owns and people, you know, who pay their taxes can get access to, we yeah once we stop owning that or ha- or these these new uh, digital kind of ways of like you know digital games or something they don't let us check them out it becomes we we start to lose some of that the specialness of libraries being able to provide the information that people might not normally have access to so it, yeah i think because of that kind of shift there's a, a kind of a concern that like what what will libraries do in the future and i i think it's become clear just how popular libraries are despite people saying you know with the rise of ebooks and all this other kind of, or how cheap books are on Amazon or whatever, like, uh, that there, there wouldn't be a space for them. Whereas like we're getting more visits than ever, like prior to the pandemic, but, um, yeah. And then our circulation numbers are going down. People aren't needing the materials as much um, because they have a Netflix account or something like that. But, um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's just kind of libraries today are dovetailing to be more of a, a place, a community space, um, kind of like you expect from like a, a kind of a parks and rec kind of situation. But um, we provide like all sorts of kind of literacy activities and, and entertainment and all that stuff that uh, you kind of would want to gather together to do. So I don't have like an overarching <laughs> great statement about where it is. That kind of caught me off guard a little bit. But yeah, I mean... Jonathan going off script. We don't just sit around <laughs> reading books. I, 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 can I make that clear that we're just sitting at the reference desk telling people to shush and read books? Um, yeah, we're, we're much more active. We're much more about getting people to experience things. And, um, and yeah, we're still all about kids and literacy and making sure people are not getting left behind in terms of, uh, of keeping up with literacy skills and all that kind of stuff. So it's very important. So we're, we're doing a lot of work with outreach and engagement with libraries uh, or not libraries, but schools and stuff like that. So, yeah. And during the pandemic, uh, the, uh, the, the bookmobile was at one of the, uh, the lunch drop off spots that I go to and they were handing out, they had everything broken up by age range and it just came with books and they were just handing them out to keep kids reading over the summer. Anything we can put in people's hands. So yeah, it's all a worthwhile expenditure of library funds. I believe if, if it's, if you're putting books in kids' hands and, and helping with that. So is it, is it tough with kids these days since things have changed so much? I mean, like, you know, I think about my own childhood and I'm in my early forties. Um, so, you know, a trip to the library for me was a big deal when I was a kid because that meant new books and my parents didn't have infinite funds. And that's what I did as I read a metric ton of books and I played very basic video games. But nowadays it's like, the nature of the entertainment that they have on tap is so much different and so much more, I don't know, not just interactive, but available, like at the fingertip. So like, does the way you interact with kids specifically, has that changed? I think fundamentally, no. Um, it's, it's still just a lot of like what your experience was of just like families coming and just loading up with a hundred books. Like, I mean, that's what we allow people to check out and a lot of people wow. reach that. Um, no, cause I, I think, the idea of like, you know, what you're talking about with in the modern era, like with kids like sitting in front of, you know, Netflix and just flicking through shows or they or playing games on their computer or something like that. I think a lot of parents realize that's not all they want their kid to be doing. Um, not just spending a lot of screen time and and, and books are at the library are free. And <laughs> I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, as long as people think of it, I think sometimes people forget that the library is there. But um I think for the most part, we still we, tons of family. Like, that's still our primary focus is as kids and families. So. Yeah, no joke, Jonathan. Today, I was two people behind uh, in line, and when they called them up to get their their stuff, they brought out a library cart, like a full <laughs> cart. Awesome. It was nuts, and and it was just so many books. And and when the library was open, I'd see that all the time. Like they they have these like. Um, it's almost like your luggage on wheels. It's like a basket with a little, you know, handle and whatnot. And you like tool it around with you and people would fill those things up just to the top with books, all sorts of books. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, Oh, I've got my three DVDs and a video game. I, I, f- I feel kind of foolish right now, but. <laughs> well, then I will say like with the library of things and board games, um, by far like our most requested or most popular items are for items for kids and families. Um, like we get a lot of requests for like specific kid board games and stuff like that, like the Catan Jr. or whatever. But, um, and those will go out almost constantly. Those will never come in and sit on the shelf. So, yeah, so clearly there's people want to have like an experience outside of screen time that they want to take home from the library too. Um, I will say though that those are also the hardest things to keep track of the parts and pieces. <laughs> like they come back. <laughs> I have certain kits that are just amazing, like kind of like almost like Lego, but they're bigger kind of parts and pieces, like engineering kits where you build cars and robots and stuff. 
And every time one of those comes back, it's missing another 10 pieces. It only starts with 70. So I'm constantly replacing parts and pieces for those. But the, the demand and popularity to have that kind of experience, like a family coming in and grabbing those things, and they just really want that, like, out, outweighs, like, my concerns about having to replace a few parts and pieces here and there. So, um, yeah, they, the, kids and families really love the games and things, too. So, I mean, obviously you guys are on what I personally would consider like the cutting edge of, of what the definition of a library would be. So let's say that one of our listeners uh, wants their local library to step up and be dope and have a library of things rather than just a library of, uh, of books. So how would they get their local library to, to step up and expand that service? I think going out there and finding some examples of, and I, I would think, you know, sending an email to your library, like, you know, whatever the suggestions like thing would be the best way to start. Um, cause that does get routed to the correct people who work at the library who would handle a request like that. Um, but it'd be throwing in some, some examples of what they see or like going on at other libraries that they would like to see at their own would be a good place to start. So um linking to that stuff. I, I certainly don't mind if, if they want to refer people to the Hillsborough library or to me specifically, I'm more than happy. I, I, I actually handle, handful of questions from librarians around the country each week. Um, just people emailing me with a list of questions. It kind of died down a little bit in the pandemic, but like it was a, a good part of what I do is just talking to people about how to get started with this. And I almost always suggest board games as kind of an easy entry point um, that they're almost guaranteed to be successful with. Start small, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so I would give them examples of what you want to see at your library and then you're welcome to send a, them to me you can give them my email address i'll give that to you guys now uh it's brendan lax b-r-e-n-d-a-n period lax l-a-x at hillsborough-organ.gov yeah i'm happy to talk to people because i do it all the time and i'm I'm a great advocate for this type of lending model so and and beyond emailing you are there any other ways that people can kind of uh keep track of of what you guys are up to and the fun things that you're doing and maybe see some of these videos that you keep talking about yes go visit i mean Right now on the Hillsborough Library's YouTube channel, we have hundreds and hundreds of like our story times that we've been doing like since the pandemic started, and we've been doing all sorts of digital content. But buried in there, there's a great playlist of Library of Things videos. If you Google Hillsborough Library of Things, we'll pop up to the top of the list, and, and we have a link to that the playlist right there on our um, and a link, you, an email address address to me, so you can find it there. Usually, if people have questions about the collection, and also direct links to sub collections within the Library of Things, so it's a good way to kind of browse through and also just kind of see what our our whole model is about and get a link to the videos because the videos have been really fun like my concern is that we weren't branding if we didn't brand enough things would sit on the shelf if people didn't know what we had but then it's a fine line between like not going over the top and like people get so interested that you have way way more demand than you can deal with in some cases that's what happened but um yeah especially initially i I started just making silly videos and, and running them through our social media just to get attention and it worked. It worked enough. I, not more than I wanted it to, but enough to get people kind of noticing. Um, so I think they're kind of funny too. Fantastic. Anything else you want us to know? Go check out what your local library is doing. Um, and yeah, like like Jonathan said, see if they'll do board games if they aren't already. It's an easy thing to libraries to do. And once they get over that initial like shock of the idea, I think most of them come around to it. I'm terrified to know what my what would happen to my collection if my wife found out that uh, we could be using a library instead. <laughs> yeah that's another thing i don't think libraries are gonna change the people who are compulsive game buyers oh. like, i think those people are gonna buy no matter what so i have a very strict one in one out policy right now because my shelves are already overflowing yeah i don't know it's making it that much harder because like do i love you or do i love you 
No, I just love you. You got to go. <laughs> you need Marie Kondo to come by and take a look at your board game. Oh, no, she's she's not coming here. She needs <laughs> to stay away. Far, far away. You know, Jonathan, look at it this way. I, I know you have a problem like offloading your board games. And yes, you know, maybe you won't get the cash for them. But if you could con your local library to do it, you could give the love to your whole community. That is not outside of the realm of good ideas. I need to talk to them. I don't. They're just around the corner from me, too. They're not very far. No, they're not very far maybe, at all. Maybe they can let, name the lending board game collection after no, you. No, nobody wants you, to if know you started about Because I'm already infamous in my community for different reasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, thank you so very much for joining us. We really appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, libraries. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're not just still a thing. They're, they're becoming ever more important than even before. Like, media might have changed, but the ability like i love what you said about bringing the community together i think that's that's really powerful and i think people forget about that like it's easy to to push the library out of your mind once you leave school and that's it's i'm I'm glad to see that it's still alive and strong plus they smell great because books have a wonderful smell and it drives <laughs> me nuts that children don't know what that is anymore but that's just me ranting and well, raving. Like put, put books in your kids' hands, and they'll they'll experience it. That's not going away. So yeah, I, I, as much as I enjoy reading on an e-reader, there's nothing as satisfying as feeling the book in between your thumb and forefinger when you turn the page. That is just a supremely wonderful moment. Yeah, and then Jonathan, I guess we'll see you at some point at the Hillsborough Library. Yeah, it's just pended. That's what I keep reminding myself. It's not that the world has ended. Uh, we will all get a chance to go and see it soon. Like I miss traveling so much. Oh, I miss traveling so much. Well, if you're ever here, I'll give you guys a special tour of the library thing. Oh, that would be amazing. Kind of show you I how would it totally works. You can bring that. bring kids, whatever. I, I, I can do. I do tours like that. So that's so <laughs> behind awesome. the scenes. So yeah, that's that's totally fun. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of episode 95 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. And Robert, any final thoughts? Yeah, I would just like to follow up your your, your point from earlier, though. Uh, the reason I own Potion Explosion is because I got it from the library and I liked it. I'm like, I want to have this because waiting six weeks on the wait list is dumb when I want to play it again. <laughs> and Potion Explosion is so good. Yeah, see, so it's not it doesn't necessarily replace owning. It's just it's getting you intrigued or, or letting you know whether you like it. So, yeah, I'm glad it works. You, you're the case example of why all this stuff works. So that's great. Well, that brings us to the last thing. As always, be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. And party on. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 